To the Dissect Podcast. I am here in the studio with Mark Dwight and a Mr. Heber Cannon. Uh, to get this correct, you've directed and produced four documentary films? Yep, that's correct. Awesome. Okay. I, I was wondering if there's like secret films somewhere. No, I mean, those are four that have been like published on iTunes or Netflix and other places. And then uh, there are other like youtube videos that would probably be considered documentary length and feature okay. length but i don't really count them as feature length documentaries because of the where they didn't didn't like make any money for anyone okay not so that money's <laughs> the issue but but they didn't they, they weren't because like it's for the money it's not it's not about the money but it's about like for me it's about where they go and and how the other community how the community looks at them mm. so like so you have a really cool perspective from because you've watched this sport grow mm-hmm. um how how did you get into that just explain kind of like because this is really this weird. sport you, what are we talking about talking about crossfit okay. oh did i not ever say that <laughs> well, nope. I, <laughs> I just assumed <laughs> i did no he's made documentaries oh right cool sorry crossfit <laughs> documentaries wild kingdom <laughs> so the the fittest on earth march of the penguins right <laughs> march of the penguins uh the the fittest on earth uh the the, the recent one was the um yeah we, we have what we call like the fittest on earth trilogy which okay. is the fittest on earth uh a decade of fitness and redeemed and dominant. And okay. then my first film was Froning the fittest man in history. That was your first one. That was my okay, first cause one. Okay. Cause that was the, I just recently watched that one. Yep. Okay. That one just made it to Netflix. Just recently, okay. That's, so why. that's probably okay. why I saw it. Yeah, yeah. It popped up and I was like, Oh, Froning. Yeah. That should be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> How did you like, what, what was your background in, in filmography and all that stuff that got you interested? Uh, so, uh, growing up, I've always had a huge interest in movies. Uh, okay. And my brother, we're here in Salt Lake City. He went to Highland High School in the 80s and would make little sketches for the high school assemblies. Um, and around the same time, Back to the Future was a big movie. <laughs> and so one of the sketches was they were trying to figure out, him and his buddies, they went back to the future to figure out how they became such cool guys. And so I was cast as his younger version of himself, and I was like five. Okay. <laughs> maybe six and that was my first experience <laughs> with filmmaking and I loved it and uh, so then I started making videos since then um, and, and around 2000 in high school I started taking it really seriously and mm-hmm. knowing like hey this is a career I want to I want to go and do um, through college I put together a little film production company here in Salt Lake and we were doing live concert videos wedding videos uh-huh. and then we were working on a uh, one of the cooler projects was a documentary on vanilla ice that nice. that kind of fell through um but i th- we what, did you get any actual content for that oh yeah like i he and mc hammer put on a concert down in provo as like a reunion concert was that the one no no he got when he started his so he was here god what band did he open for it was when he had that like hardcore face yes right? so, so and they, he played some of that too at this concert but oh, the okay. concert was supposed to be purely like 80s oh okay like a, like yeah, yeah, mc yeah. hammer was yeah. there in his big old pants dancing right. uh <laughs> and and he was vanilla ice was awesome he was great he, he showed up and was super happy super positive 
He was a great dude. That's awesome. And, and I got to spend like the whole night just me and him following him around the whole the whole show. It was really cool, really intimate. Uh, and so me and another couple guys took that, which then spinballed into um, Al Roker from the Today Show, got oh. a hold of our trailer that we had made, and he wanted to make a TV show out of it. So then we made a pilot for a TV show that nothing really came of it. And sure. then a few years later, Vanilla Ice was doing like home home makeover. renovations or yes. something. Yeah. Yes, so I think we kind of helped him get onto the TV market in that sort of way, like people <laughs> recognizing that he wanted to have a show. Um, so now that's I don't know if he's still doing that, but that was kind of around the same time I found CrossFit and uh, was making videos for local affiliates here in town to try and pay for my membership because nice. um, I was a poor college student with sure. tons of debt and and. <laughs> Uh, eventually CrossFit got a hold of some of my videos and I had a I emailed them and said hey if you need any extra hands this year getting ready for the CrossFit game season I'm right near Chris Spieler and Tommy Hackenbrook and Miranda Oldroyd they're nearby I would love to kind of follow their journey and they went from uh, an email to a four-hour phone call the next day with the head of media and then they contracted me out for every other weekend for basically all of 2010 until I was hired on full-time so now that's where I've ended up. <laughs> that, that's one way to do it. What what sparked your interest into like CrossFit and that? Like, was there was there any sports involved before? I've always been really interested in just like the the physical capabilities of humans. Mm. And so, like in high school, I kind of had ADD where I always wanted to do so many different sports. So, like, I would tell my swim coach, "Hey, I can't get to swimming until I'm not going to come to the morning class because I'm doing cross country." Or I'll come to the morning session and I'll and I'll go to the afternoon session. To, like I'm doing too many sports, and I was like doing boxing, and okay. then I'd get home at at night and weight lift. And so you, were, was, you were crossfitting before crossfitting, exactly. And I, but I was terrified <laughs> of going below parallel. Like any, oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> like I understood what I didn't know, and I didn't know anything about heavy weight. So it was all like really lightweight. And the only thing that I would try and do heavy was bench, and I'd probably try and kill myself right. on that. Like <laughs> what I was doing was extremely dangerous. Right. But I got through it. Um, so I've always had that interest. And then when I saw, I actually saw Mark's videos on the movie 300 about training those athletes. And I was like, dude, that's what Rocky Balboa did in, on number four. <laughs> that's what I want to do. And so I'd, I would be doing it up at the University of Utah gym. Um, and I was always like, I was fascinated when I found a video on, on the Jim Jones website of you guys throwing medicine balls up on the skyline track. track and feed. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, oh my gosh, these guys are here in Salt Lake, but I could never figure out how to get into that. And then someone interest, introduced me into uh, CrossFit and they said, hey, this is, this is what I've been doing. I've lost a lot of weight. And I said, that looks like the 300 stuff. I want to go do that. Where is that? And they introduced me to, to Tyson Oldroyd and Miranda Oldroyd at CrossFit 801. And that's how I got my journey into CrossFit. Wow. I get, I've, I've yeah, heard a few times that movie was responsible for <laughs> some people being curious about some, yeah. fitness, fitness and, yeah. and that sort of thing. Because <laughs> I think it's always like it, it, when I read Greg's like def- definition of what is fitness, to me it just clicked and it made so much sense mm-hmm. as to what you should be able to do to be fit mm-hmm. and, and what possibility of the human like we don't know what the human body is capable of doing and that stuff has always intrigued me so now i'm in a really cool position where i just get to go around with the fittest people on the on the planet and see what they're doing to push themselves that's where i get really um kind of intrigued by what you do because you are from my perspective legitimately following a a very quickly growing sport Mm -hmm. like all the detraction aside of you know 
what CrossFit measures or whatnot, because people can be finicky about it. You were legitimately dealing with some of the world's best athletes, if not the, you like across a, a broad spectrum, probably the best athletes in the world easily. Um, you get to see this sport evolve very quickly, like in real time and documented it and, and not just documented, but tell the story that goes along with that. And I think from, from the movies that I've seen so far in your, in your films, um, the reason it's so successful is because the personalities that come into that, you capture those very well. Thank you. Um, and in that story, like that, that's something that other things that have tried to, and I'll, I'll say it like blatantly have tried to rip off CrossFit do not have that personal story attached to it. And that's something you picked up really well. Did you, uh, is that something that was planned or are the personalities strong enough in that sport that they just kind of come out and it's an easy thing to capture? Uh, I think, I don't know, it's hard to say because I'm interested in people and I'm interested in what motivates them. And then I'm also interested in, like I've always studied filmmaking, I studied uh, English at the University of Utah. Mm-hmm. And what makes a good story is a good personality and good, like if you can, like everyone's got an interesting story. Mm-hmm. Like everyone's got a backstory that's that can be interesting. They just might not express it in an interesting way. And so if you can get to know people and pull their story out of them, then it makes it a lot more interesting for someone to then be attached to them as a viewer and as a fan. Mm -hmm. And so I took that approach when I was doing any of these movies or um, when we first started. So one of my first roles as as an employee full-time of CrossFit was to prepare us for the ESPN shows. We didn't know we were going to do an ESPN show, but we knew we wanted to be on live TV. So I helped kind of develop that. And one element that I thought was missing that I wanted more and more of was the live competition is really cool, Mm -hmm. but I like all the little profiles that happen around it to build up these personalities. Right. It gives you kind of a, um, it gives you a reason to understand the drama that's happening in the action. Yes. Otherwise the action isn't as heavy, right? Like Mm -hmm. uh, I can't understand, um, why somebody would pour an effort into something unless it was, you know, the points line or, or their past year experience with yeah, you don't overcoming what, a hardship. Yeah, you don't know what they've given up. You mm-hmm. don't know what they've dedicated if you don't see that, if you just see what's on the competition floor. Right. Um, and so we, that's always been a motivating factor for me in storytelling is, is finding interesting personalities and then telling their stories. Mm. And so every year we try to find... You know, there's going to be the top athletes that are going to be there at the mm-hmm. games, but we always try to find one or two new people, even if it's not an athlete and it's like a husband or a coach, or it's, you know, we've been really lucky the last two years and just this, this new project that we're working on now with two or three new personalities that are phenomenal, okay. that are going to be great stories <laughs> that we can't t- wait to tell. And like Ricky yeah. Garrard last year that tested positive for steroids, he's a great character. Right. Um, which and we will totally get into okay. that because I, like we're going to get confrontational, not in a bad way, but I, I really do. Like I, I found that that perspective of that last film with um, the the doping and I'll, I guess I'll call them allegations, although I guess it's a proven thing. Yeah, uh, I found that really interesting because that, that was a uh, that's another subject that I, I think you're somebody who sees this from a perspective that has uh, we could have a very good opinion and an enlightening voice uh, towards what's going on there. Uh, a technical kind of curiosity I have because I understand like putting content together in order to uh, put together a film like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're obviously, let's say, let's exclude the teams. So you're potentially following 80 people that'll make the cut to the big event, right? Yep. But you're potentially following 
a thousand people. Uh, how many in regionals for? Yeah, individual let's just athletes? call it a thousand. Let's oh, call it a thousand. There's athletes a number, but I don't know it off the top of my head. Yeah, it's like at least at least five hundred or mm-hmm. something. And are you going out to sort of the regional events and the to to, to actually get coverage of those different things? Yeah, we have we have different people. Uh, we have a a large team that covers every regional. So we have someone on our crew at each re- each of the eight or nine regionals that are happening. Every yeah. year they change the number yeah, yeah. of actual regionals. So I don't remember. I think it's I think it was nine this year. But we had someone on our team that was there capturing with a nice camera competition on the floor and then behind the scenes content and drama that's happening behind the scenes. But with those thousands of athletes, you know, like okay, we know for sure. Unless there's a catastrophe, mm-hmm. these ten for sure are going to make it. But so you we'll, do want to capture that catastrophe. Yeah, so we're there to right. capture the, ca- the catastrophe at the mm-hmm. regional. Like Dan Bailey last year is a good mm-hmm. friend of mine. We had, we were do, we produced these web series along the way mm-hmm. called Road to the Games, and it's just vignettes of people's lives at different stages of the competition. And the biggest one we do every year is the regional one, where we mm-hmm. embed with two athletes, a male and a female. And we spend the entire weekend with them. And last year it was Lindsay Valenzuela and mm-hmm. Dan Bailey, and neither of them made it to the games. Yep. Um, we knew she might not, but Dan was our shoe-in guy that everybody loves. He's a great character of the community. Yeah. Everybody knows him. And then event two, he tears his pack. And so, oh. like, you're there to capture that drama. But, but you, <laughs> and you caught some drama. You caught some drama, and then, <laughs> yeah. but it cuts our documentary short because it's. <laughs> but, yeah. so, but there is this whittling down, right? Because we start with the open, and you're talking about three hundred and fifty thousand. Yeah, three. People? I think it was like three hundred and eighty this year. Okay, yeah, yeah, like close to a half a million people. Yeah. Which, just as a side note, um, I don't think there's any other fitness brand or company that has affected that many people in such a short amount of time to partake in a very hard event, and and. People don't understand that. Like how uh, this is my draw to CrossFit, right? Um, I, what I think its utility is, and and people will will kind of criticize uh, CrossFit for this is like, oh, they make people who are unprepared do hard things. It's like, <laughs> at what point is something hard if if you are prepared for it, right? Like, yeah, it, it's kind of that's the point. <clears throat> yeah, right? that, that's the hardship, right? Now. I might not be able to lift a heavy weight. I might not be able to do this thing like perfectly, but the hardship is what actually enforces my body to adapt. Like that, that is the whole reason. So in a world where, let's just call it in 2000, right? The millennial generation, everything is about comfort. It's about getting things with ease. It's about, um, now I can just Amazon, whatever the hell product I want to my doorstep. I can, um, uh, finance the most comfortable things, the most comfortable cars. I can eat the finest foods. I can put fucking truffle oil on everything, whatever. Mm-hmm. Th- something pops up and it says, no, no, you should be uncomfortable. Like, you should be really uncomfortable. Of course, it's going to have critics, right? If, yep. if our whole society is perception is like, no, be more comfortable, do it easier. Um, the four minute work week or whatever the hell the thing is, the thing that comes in and says, you know, hey, do this until you puke or do this as hard as you can and compete with people and show how either good you are or how bad you are. That That's different. And that, of course, it's going to have critics. But that actually is probably the more human thing that has happened in the past century is to, like, go against this comfort thing that we've been trying to solve for thousands of years. And hasn't produced generally good results. 
Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Health specifically. Yeah, yes. right, right. Yeah, exactly. exactly. But I think also expectations of uh, um, it, uh, on a variety of levels, you know, not and, and certainly not just to do with sort of health and fitness or whatever, but with, um, yeah, this is how my life is going. I, I am going to reach this particular economic level or I am entitled or I expect this or I'd like to just show up and collect my paycheck but not actually produce <laughs> anything or whatever I, I um i i think the the that this idea of of compelling people or even just introducing them to the idea that you know difficult is actually okay it's 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 if it's easy it's not memorable and if you want to actually have an experience that might shape you in some way or or steer you in a particular direction it's it's going to have to be hard yeah and that, that is the side note because that, I mean, maybe it's not a side note. Maybe that's the whole topic of, of what we're usually hinting at is like, it's okay to be uncomfortable. And one thing with, with your films is you capture a lot of uncomfortable moments. And I, I'm wondering how hard that is to do. Like we mentioned, we're whittling it down from, let's say, 380,000 into 1,000 into 80, just talking on the individual level. Um, it, is a, it looks like it's a gamble from me. Right for you to pick a character to follow. Yeah. Um, what kind of things are you looking for when you're when you're looking at doing a vignette on a, a character or an athlete? It's funny because we 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 base it upon the season, so like where we are within it. So uh, the beginning of the season, we tend to recapture all the top athletes from the begin the previous year, and then between the open and the regionals, there's like a three to four month window where we have that's where the most people are competing. Mm -hmm. And we basically just pe find people on social media or that we met in previous mm -hmm. years that we found the most entertaining and fun. Like, hey, mm -hmm. I wanna go hang out with this person. Or maybe you're selfish and you're like, hey, that person's got a lake, I wanna go wakeboard by them, so. Right, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, there's some advantages yes, taken yeah. from this. Uh, it, do, we, it does seem like there's a lot of, well, especially in that Froning film, it seems like there's a lot of fun to be had in, in, in this business that you're in. Right. Yeah, and that's part of it. Like you, to develop relationships, you have to be kind of a fun person. You know, like if you're if you're a trainer and no one gets along with you, you could be the best trainer on the planet and you'll have no clients. <laughs> so like, I as a filmmaker, I'm going out and I have to be. These people have to welcome me into very intimate mm -hmm. moments in their in their lives. And if I don't get along with people, I'm not going to get great content. Sure. <laughs> and and I think like one of the things you mentioned earlier about like the the how the the relationship between you and the individual changes if you go through a training session with them or yeah. maybe if you go wakeboarding with them or mm -hmm. you know what whatever like if you share the thing that they're really into or 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 then as michael i think put it you know you demonstrate that you speak the same language that yeah. you, you you have this history there's some shorthand um communication that can happen because of a shared background in some way and i think um the, the, the I, it's that to me it's admirable to be able to um sort of insert yourself into, you know, their lives in a way that's, that doesn't necessarily, you know, that captures it truthfully without influencing it yep. in a way, like with being the, the proverbial fly on the wall or whatever, that yes, I'm here and I'm documenting this, but that the subjects aren't necessarily changing their behavior for the presence of the camera. Once they get used to it, obviously in the beginning that 
you know, camera comes out and people are like, wow, well, shirt comes off, you know, or whatever. <laughs> um, yes. And, uh, but I don't even think the camera needs to come out. I think the shirts just come off. Okay. <laughs> Crossfitters have an allergy to cotton, I think. Yeah, yeah, right. It's been the joke for years. <laughs> ah, it's, uh, it's 10% polyester. <laughs> the, uh, how, often, how often do you actually have to confront your own capability in, in your actual line of work? What do you mean? Um, there's this language that gets in, and maybe I'll elaborate because we met. Um, I didn't, I didn't know you. I was just watching you do an open workout. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think a couple of years ago, and um, there's something about um, how you were training that was expressive, right? There, there was a lot of emotion put into it for whatever reason, um, and I always, like as somebody who takes pictures, that's really interesting to capture. Like it, it in a in a in an artificial environment where we create the hardship to have somebody who's actively like fighting hardship to show that on their face, I think um, makes me reach for a camera just because I want to see it later. And so I took a picture and then, you know, found out later that you were into photography. I had no idea that you Mm -hmm. were making films, but I always find it interesting too, because as a photographer, no one really, you don't get to capture yourself very often. Like that's a, that's a rare thing. Um, um, but what I thought w- was more interesting is that actually I looked at, you know, some of the stuff that you've created and produced, you're capturing something that you partake in, sure. right? Like when you document an athlete at the fringe of their capability, you have to understand that yourself in order to see it. Like, I think that's how I saw it in you. And so my question about your own capability is I see it in you because I have to face it myself. I have to face like, man, what am I bad at? Like how whether I'm not a good competitor, but I like to compete or whatever the thing is, how, how frequently, because you, you're around the best athletes in the sport all the time. How often do you actually confront that? And is it demotivating to be like, well, fuck, I worked out with Rich Froning and (laughs) fuck my life. Or is it, is it, is it motivating in, in, in to say like, well, he's capable of that. What am I capable of? Uh, uh, It's a little bit of the latter where I, I, I get excited with like, uh, especially like athletes that have similar body types of mine, like mm-hmm. Cody Anderson this last weekend. He's, yeah, he's yeah. very small, he's light, mm-hmm. and he's beating guys on a heavy clean and jerk ladder <laughs> that are that are picked to win the event and are 6'4", 220. Yeah. And he's like 5'10", <laughs> 170 when mm-hmm. like at his highest. And so like that motivates me a lot. Where I can get a little bit frustrated is when you're with like a female who continually outlifts me. (laughs) And it's happening so much more frequently now than it was three years ago. Uh, But at the same time, like I just joke that, not necessarily a joke, but uh, uh, you take it with a grain of salt because that's what they do and that's their Mm -hmm. whole sole focus. Sure. And so of course they're gonna get better than me and I'm getting older and, for me, it's uh, I enjoy pushing myself to the limit that I can get to, while mm-hmm. also maintaining like family relationships, my film career, and I would yeah. love to maybe someday compete in like the masters category. So I've got like a ten year trajectory where they're right. they're nice. trying to peak in, in nine months. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking <laughs> to compete as a sixty year old. Yes, exactly. <laughs> After all the you know, my generation has blown shoulders and blown backs, maybe <laughs> if I survive, then I'll be able to compete against some people when I'm sixty. Yeah, maybe but, ninety. You know, yeah. hopefully when I'm there, like <laughs> just they open some new categories and I can compete in those. Oh, yeah, <laughs> just don't push too hard right now because. 
Because they'll be breaking themselves <laughs> while you're just like resting and <laughs> covering and I'm warming up. Yeah, my yoga I'm recovering on. until my golden years, yeah. <laughs> and then I'm gonna really unleash the beast. Yes. <laughs> you guys I'm wait. Sh- <laughs> I'm sure that's well. That's probably what I tell myself. So that's acceptable anyway. Um, well, so let's get into a little bit deeper subject because um, I watched the Redeemed and Dominant. And I had some questions. Ask away. So you had a, a front and center perspective of an actual doping allegation scandal, whatever you want to call it, happen in real time. And, and there's some efficacy things, I think, <laughs> involved because during the interviews, um, there was some knowledge, some foreknowledge about the circumstances that were going. There was, but there wasn't. Okay. So I didn't know, like... I had been told before I left, hey, his results have come back and they were positive for a drug. And I wasn't told what it was. Okay. I wasn't told, like, and I didn't know the... the it was a SARMs, right? It was a, ended yeah. up being the, some sort of SARMs. I forget the, the, the actual name of it. But the I wasn't, I don't know if I was told that, but I also didn't know the, like, what happens next. And I had been told he could appeal. Mm-hmm. And in my mind, when I was asking the questions, I was legitimately saying, okay, this could go either way. He could appeal and we might address it, but we might not. And it might not, like this question could possibly okay. never see the day, but I would kill myself if I didn't ask these questions. Sure. So you came at it from a neutral standpoint. I, I okay. tried to be as neutral as possible. And like the whole time I was with him, he's the nicest guy, the sure. friendliest, like one of the the best hosts I've ever had when I visited an athlete. So so this is, Actually, this is so fine. why okay. is that remarkable in it, a way? Like, exactly. Like, because it, it, and to me, this has sort of the, the, uh, has a lot to do with. I mean, the, that the the and not specific to you, but um, the, that the attitude about doping. It's it, it, as soon as we bring the morality question into it, then the person must be evil if they right. do the supposedly yes. illegal or evil thing, and we just have this. Oh, but he was the nicest guy, or right. like this is like the, the the doping question for me. It's um, because of. Uh, cycling and ski mountaineering racing and that sort of thing like i'm <laughs> kind of um plugged into one aspect of it and i have a pretty a, 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 an opinion on it i don't i don't think but i don't think it's evil sure like, it's like there's no moral thing for me it's in like we were on a job in bulgaria and we were talking to some of the guys and they're like well of course we you know take performance enhancing drugs because um our life here is not easy and if we want to continue to do our stuntman work to provide for our families then we got to you know mm-hmm. You know, to treat ourselves to the the longest athletic career possible in order to, right. to have that. And I'm like, oh well, that makes total sense. And there's actually that's a very positive thing that you're doing it for that you know for that, that reason, reason. Yeah. you know or whatever. It, it, and, and you know, different people are going to have different reasons. But the but that, the this idea that all of a sudden we we okay they do the the thing that's illegal according to this set of rules which we don't necessarily even know why they exist sometimes um and then and then the and then the whole person is supposedly like the rotten apple sure <laughs> i i could see how that would be taken uh and i, I that is a mistake on my part i, I well, don't, no, no, I don't no, want to no, jump no. into saying like he i don't think he is a bad guy now like i still think he like i i like the guy i would mm-hmm. i would still go hang out with them yeah but it's it's kind of like well, well besides, it's, it's, you know, before well, you before you defend that, I, I would uh, because what you said was very natural, right? Like, and that, yes. that's 
that's you're not guilty of anything and you didn't misstate anything your reaction is what i'm actually used to and that's that's what i crossfit had an opportunity right they are a new sport yep and they're redefining human possibility they had an opportunity to redefine what we consider cheating and what we consider doping now i'm not i'm not promoting the idea that it should be a free for all but there was an opportunity for a new conversation you're not ready for the rx games Prescribed. Prescribed by sure. Exactly. The, yeah. I did it prescribed. It's like, yes. oh, that means something totally different. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> um, and I'm not saying that. I'm saying that the rules are arbitrary, like 100% arbitrary. And I'll, and I'll frame this so that people understand. Like, um, if if I abide by the rules of WADA, which I believe that it's very close, like CrossFit has adopted a, a lot of those same rules, right? Yep. So if I abide by the rules of WADA, whenever I take a cough syrup or a suppressant, I'm cheating, right? And that, that's what people don't understand about this catch-all phrase of doping, right? Um, if I take uh, any kind of substance that, that is on that list, there is no explanation other than uh, it'll list the chemical name by my asterisk in the name. It's just, oh, that person cheated. And they willfully tried to bend the rules. Now, in his case, the argument is, yeah, he like knowingly took this one substance to get a performance-enhancing effect. My big question, and, and this is my, like, why didn't the conversation start? It was like, why are we so against people getting a performance-enhancing effect? We do it through food. We obviously do it through training. We do it through recovery practices. The only thing we're not allowed to do is arbitrarily ingest this thing that also promotes a thing. And it's only because we can identify it as an alien substance. So in the in the case of caffeine, they tried to ban it. They can't because it's in everything. And there's no way to control for it. So WADA finally you know, gave up. Well, okay, so that's legal. But caffeine is a performance-enhancing drug. Yeah, sure. Period. Yeah. Creatine, same thing. Creatine is naturally available in too many foods. Therefore, we can't control for it. Because if you eat beef, you'll pop hot for creatine, right? And it, it and it's a really that like there's enough in it. Yeah, I mean okay. because if we're talking, yeah, about, I guess depending stake, on where they yeah. would arbitrarily establish a if level. We're talking yeah. about zero tolerance, you yeah. know. And this is where we go. Okay, so if they can control for an amount, then we have a different discussion because then we're talking about what are and we have this you know, talk a lot and we ask this question a lot, what are we selecting for, right? So if sport is a selection of the most athletic or the most fit or whatever you deem. So this this past games was obviously very hell-bent on endurance selection. You selected for a large part of it being that, but also a combination of strength and a combination of things. But what we're actually selecting for without the ability to enhance past genetic potential is we're selecting for predetermined genetic potential. Like the guy who was born with a certain muscle fiber type that trains it to its um, potential through physical means and legal food means and legal uh, recovery means, he is gonna be the winner, right? Sure. The guy who doesn't have the muscle fiber type or the genetic makeup or the total testosterone that somebody has the benefit of or the, the uh, hematocrit level that somebody else has. He's obviously at a disadvantage, in which case our sport is just hinging upon what you're born with and also willing to add through a little bit of work and a little bit of diet. Does that make sense? I think that mm, 
yes and no. The like I kind of get what you're saying, but I also think there's a lot to the amount of training. Like I don't think it's a little amount of training and a little bit of diet. I think sure. I think what you're born with is a is definitely a baseline. Mm-hmm. But I've seen some people train very smart and make some really huge gains in their physical fitness performances mm-hmm. without. Uh, not, not like I don't know if maybe they do have different genes, but they also train very smart and very hard. Sure. And not to say that that's not a factor, and I don't want to minimize because obviously someone can train incorrectly. And that's the whole point towards, you know, sport and athletics sometimes is just to highlight how somebody prepared for something. And and I've seen the top athletes train in ways that are significantly, not significantly, but minor differences that look smarter than some of the 10th place finishes that I've seen at the CrossFit Games. Okay. Uh, um, On that note, what what would one of those – because this is this is an aspect that maybe not many people realize they they look at it and and even I'm guilty of this as being like training is training like the stimulus is the stimulus and the recovery is the recovery what kind of things have you noticed at the top level of that specific sport one of the biggest things is uh I'm going to use an example well so one year I'll use Dan Bailey as an example hmm. sorry Dan uh, <laughs> he did he realized after the 15 and 16 games that one of his worst performances was Murph. So every week for a year, he did Murph as the different variations of Murph. But it was always like an hour to 45 minutes long workout with lots of push-ups, lots of pull-ups, and lots of air squats. If you're very bad at a long triathlon, do you go and do an Ironman once a week? Or do you tr- do you train different aspects of that with a work-to-rest ratio? Um, <laughs> that kind of thinking is what I've seen some of the top athletes instill, in which is kind of like, you see, you got the word EMOM written up here. Mm. They'll do a lot of EMOMs or they'll have lots of work to rest ratios with. Uh, so was Dan at that time when he was doing that, was he entirely self-coached? He was entirely was... self-coached. Okay. And so. Because <laughs> that sounded, that sounds to me like, okay, it clearly a, a guide of some kind needed to step in and say, hey. Let me double check you on this. <laughs> yeah. Let's just, and, and so, yeah. but also on the same time, like Matt Fraser, he's had Ben Bergeron as, as his coach for a few years. This uh-huh. last year, Ben has not been his coach and he's been self-coached. Mm. But but, that's, but it's sitting on the foundation of all the experience he had yes. with proper coaching. And he before. also has like Chris Henshaw as an endurance coach and also understands all of that type of- He has of, some feedback. He, has, he, he gets yeah. some feedback and he has some technique, like he's also- always finding this people who are strongest at different things mm-hmm. and working out those things with that specific person. So like he was like, I discovered Rich Froning and three of the people at CrossFit Mayhem are the best pegboarders in the world. And so <laughs> uh, every time I would go to the gym and they were there, we were doing a pegboard yep. workout head to head. And I don't know what those work style of workouts were, but like he found people where he could get that feedback and, and right. technique stuff while also having that foundation of knowing how to train smart for the CrossFit Games. Yeah. So there is, I mean, and this is, this is. We're way <laughs> off topic from the. No, 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 no. <laughs> it's, it's, it's perfect because th- there needs to be illuminated that there is a difference in how you physically prepare for something. Sure. Period. Um, what I'm saying is that it, that will play off of a genetic base. And then some people just, I, I mean, they are not genetically allowed to do certain things. Like, uh, my best example, um, you know, James Townsend, who was kind of a the fem- names. Oh yeah, he's a phenom. <clears throat> the phenom. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he owned a gym with Lindsey Valenzuela. A yeah. Years ago. So yeah, that guy, 
is built different than me. That guy can muscle snatch 315. Totally. <laughs> I cannot. He can. <laughs> Never will. <laughs> hang power clean 400 pounds or whatever. And, and this, this big guy, now he makes his own training mistake. The guy is probably the most impressive specimen of like a human muscular potential. I mean, he's got like bicep abs. Like yep. they just like poke through shirts and stuff. He eats Snicker bars for like every meal. Yep. Like there was a joke when he was on our, our grid team of him like showing up and he, he like, oh, I brought my nutrition and it's literally like a bag of candy. <laughs> that guy just eats candy and he's shredded beyond belief. So like, and he's strong beyond belief and he's explosive. The guy is like a 60 inch box jump or whatever the thing is. It's like now he has some very natural deficiencies, obviously in endurance and slow twitch fibers. He is not a slow twitch person. No, he's just one big fast twitch fiber. Exactly. Yeah. So what I'm saying is like, so the if I was going to compete in a sport with him, there is no way that there is any, no matter what I did, no matter what drug that I took, no matter what training protocol, nutrition, sleep, all that stuff thrown at me, there is nothing th that will give me the ability to do what he does. Now, given the same context, there's nothing that he can do that can make him do what I can do um, on a bike or otherwise. Sure. He is unable to handle oxidative stress in a proper manner, which is unraveling. That's why he's doing weightlifting now instead of the hopeful CrossFit Games thing. Yep. Um, because it's an oxidative sport. So uh, in my advice, you know, at the time, so because he's absolutely one of the most humble guys, actually. For, for a guy that has played in the NFL and has done the things that he's done, he was really open to advice. My advice was don't touch weights anymore <laughs> and run every day. Like, because you need to balance this thing. Like, yep. I think he could literally go a year without touching a weight and outlift every single person in the games. Yeah, he would, uh, he would do okay in the CrossFit total. Right, and it would take him, I don't know, um, probably four years to convert muscle fiber type. So my advice was like, don't do it. <laughs> because by the time you became a decent CrossFit athlete, uh, you'd probably be too old to compete anyway, or you'd be a master's category or whatever. And it wouldn't be fun because for him, like lifting big weights and getting this effect, like that's fun for him. Anyway, back to the, the, the subject at hand is that now there's no way for me to chemically or training or any way to meet that person's uh, ability. What would be the point? Legally. Legally or, or, or illegally. Or even, okay. I would even argue illegally. Um, your, but, arms, your arms are too long? Right. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I, he actually has a pretty, I mean, I think. He played back. in the NFL. He must have a pretty yeah, good Yeah, I think he's span. plus six ape index. He's just incredibly powerful. Like the, his speed at which he moves is unbelievable. He's all hamstrings. Um, but uh, my thought on this whole idea and why this became like, this could have been a good conversation to have because I look, um, th there's, there's a little bit of contradiction happening with a conversation around Ricky Girard, right? At, at one level, people are like, and you've heard this, I'm sure it's like people see a CrossFit girl or a CrossFit female and they're like, oh, she's for sure on drugs. You're like, well, you guys don't know how diet works. Like you really don't understand what hard training and nutrition can provide somebody like the look of drugs is not necessarily one of muscularity uh in fact it rarely is like you look at the i don't know 26 weightlifters that were popped for you know various um variations of testosterone they are not lean and shredded like versions of you know arnold schwarzenegger or whatever the yeah i think that's why people jump to that conclusion is because the image they have built in their heads is the bodybuilder Right. 
And so that because this is like a slight variant of what that might mm-hmm. look like, they're also doing a lot of hypertrophy work. They're mm-hmm. very strict on their nutrition, and then some of them probably take some PEDs. And yeah. so because that's like the image that's always used when drugs are talked about, mm-hmm. you forget that like Lance Armstrong didn't look like <laughs> he didn't look very strong at all. Like he looked kind of weak. Right. <laughs> you know? Frail. Downright yes. frail. <laughs> but, but but he he actually looked um, quite muscular compared to some of his contemporaries okay. at the time who were right. performing Pentagon, at a similar yeah. level because he was he, he was one of the heavier guys in the in the oh, yeah. at the time but it was too, um, too much testosterone he couldn't lose that muscle mass <laughs> yeah exactly like, and then he had pantani that was just like <laughs> flies uphill yeah uh, anyway uh, the I, I find that conversation actually really interesting because i'll be the first one to say you cannot identify drugs you can't it is not a visual thing most no. times um, the side effects sometimes are like black hair growing on a female's back. There's something up with that or acne, all these other things, the side effects of taking, uh, exogenous drugs sometimes is the effect. But when you talk about like what CrossFit athletes look like, it is a result of the physical training most times and the amount of nutrition that's put into it. I can't think of another sport where nutrition is so closely tied to the act, even at the like most amateur level. Like you have, if I, whatever CrossFit gym I go into, and I, I drop into quite a few because it is fun. The base, or like the the majority of mo- soccer moms is going to a CrossFit gym knows more about nutrition than like I don't know the majority of cyclists that I talk to. And I think it's because of so a lot of this is tied back to CrossFit's goal, which is very different than the CrossFit's game, the CrossFit Games goal. Sure. Yeah. 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 So like. What we're trying to do isn't make you the most fit you can be right now, mm-hmm. which is what SARMs or, or PEDs would do. Mm-hmm. We want you to be the healthiest and fittest you can be for the longest possible time. So t- broad time and modal domains is what's used. And modal domains isn't the four days of the CrossFit Games. That's not what the CrossFit's goal is. Modal domains being years and years and years of your life. And so I think because of there's an unknown factor with SARMs or PEDs mm-hmm. where we don't know what those side effects are going to be in 10 years. And especially with SARMs, we're like, uh, interesting story. We, I just, I bought some SARMs two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had an athlete who uh, tested positive for something out of, um, she won the Southern Cali- she won the California Regional, Emily Abbott. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, I was going to bring her up too. Okay, so she tests positive and she has this story that she didn't know she was taking them. Her boyfriend was taking it. Yeah, no, okay. her boyfriend was oh. taking them and then made out with her for 10 minutes on Saturday night at the CrossFit game, at the regionals. And then because it was in her system the next day, she tested positive. And it is a very minute amount that she was, that came out in the test, but it's still in her system. Sure, it's zero tolerance. So, so there's zero tolerance. That, and this could have been going on for months. Like we don't know, we, we've, we caught her at the test. They do and, a lot of making out. Yeah, they. And he does a lot of SARMs. Yeah. So, <laughs> what effect does that have? But in, like when I so when I went into researching, like there's I have all kinds of ideas about what I want to tell if I tell any of that story. Mm-hmm. Like, what if we tested that? Should I take SARMs and make out with my wife and test her, or should I have someone else do that and and document it and just see what happens? Like, could that actually be a, a result of what happened? I mean, the tainted meat defense. Is, yes, uh, yes, it's, it's fairly age, common actually. It's yes, exactly. <laughs> so it's a, it's a defense. But when I looked at like, okay, if this is something that I'm personally going to take, 
what are the side effects? What's going to happen to me? Sure. Right. And there were things that I was like, that's not acceptable in my life. Sure. I don't want to have some yellow, like one of them was, yellow pupils. you'll have a yellow tint in your eye yep. and like in your vision. And I was like, I see for a living. I can't, which is, which is, <laughs> I can't which is that. That's <laughs> related okay to the, the possible liver damage from ingesting something orally, right? Yes. Yeah, okay. So like there's, there's tons of side effects that for something as new as SARMs that we don't know about. So like for CrossFit as a company, the games aren't, our goal in the least bit. Sure. Like, so I understand that difference 100%. And I totally agree with it. Because when, when, you know, uh, working in movies, people start to ask like, hey, can I take something? Sure. And I would ask the same thing if I was going to be paid millions of dollars to be on screen but, and have to I look as good as I could. So the, I, I don't think the money changes the conversation, right? Like, No, absolutely not. So, And this is where the, the, the health is because we're looking for longevity. Like we... We want this to go past the two minutes on screen shirtless thing. We want this to go past the one event thing. And although there's probably some future benefit from some use from there's illegal substances out there that are promising, like, I mean, the, the, um, what, do, what do they want to call the market now? What is it? What is it? The uh, TRT market, whatever that is. There, there's why, obviously. Why are you looking at me? Because well, I, I can't remember. What they, they call it the longevity or whatever. Because I've had thing. my AARP card for a while now. Because like, it's yeah. time to dose, Mark. It's time to get into TRT. Life extension, I believe. Life extension. Is, that, I believe yeah. is what it's called. Life yeah. extension. There are some I mean, chemicals. I, yeah. I heard from a friend. Yeah, sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I've been told. Yeah. I don't actually research this stuff actively. Um, there is, there's some promising things out there. Here, when it comes to sport, this is where I get weird because WADA, this is one of their fucking joke of a, a fair sport is supposed to be safe, which I wholeheartedly disagree with, 100%. Like, I don't think there's anything safe about descending down a mountain, it's 60 miles an hour with 120 other riders. Could you watch Gilbert go over the fucking barriers? Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> safe? <laughs> no thanks. There's no. nothing safe about ski jumping. There's nothing safe about skiing. There's nothing safe about um, putting 300 pounds over your head. Like, that, they're really, like, yes, there's effective ways to get away with it, is how I would frame that. The whole idea of sport to me is who is willing to risk to win. Like, th that, like, Putting a, a heavier weight overhead, you're risking something, right? Like, well, what is, then what's the act if it isn't risk? In which case, when it comes to athletics, I go, well, there's an arbitrary line in the sand between health, risking health in order to get an advantage. And I, I have a hard time seeing that line. I don't know what it is. I'm not proclaiming that drugs are free for all because that's where everybody likes to go to the polar opposite ends of sure. the spectrum, right? And that's, that is never the answer. Like, it's always somewhere in the middle that's gray, like, maybe it's uh, ascertaining what levels of what drugs are most helpful and then assigning a limitation to each athlete, right? Like Emily Abbott would have been just fine because she only took a little bit of this thing and it didn't, it didn't get to the point where it was beyond human normality or whatever you want to describe it as. And, and, and that's been proposed, but nobody's willing to talk about it because of the thing that Mark brought up is that we've already designated as a morality issue. And so the contradiction that um, I mentioned a long time ago that I, I never got to because we got sidetracked. Um, the, the contradiction thing is, is people claim, obviously by just looking at CrossFit athletes, that they're on drugs, right? Yep. 
the opposite claim comes that, yeah, like, no, you don't have to do drugs to win the CrossFit Games. Like, look at Matt Frazier. He's passed every test. Let's just say he is drug-free. Let's assume that because there's nothing that shows that the, he is. Proven until innocent until proven guilty. Exactly. And, that, and that's obviously how it should be. Um, but if he's not, then why are drugs illegal? If he's not. If he's not. Like, if he can win three years in a row without taking anything then drugs aren't the result of winning. Therefore, why are they illegal in the first place? Like if they're not, if Ricky Gerard can't beat Matt Frazier by taking a bunch of stuff, then why do we care? Um, again, CrossFit's health initiative yeah, is, yeah. is a big thing. We'll so, just stick to the sports so, so if we're just going it, to like yeah. general sports, that's a great inquiry. Like why can't they take it in the NBA, NFL? Mm -hmm. They definitely have lots of injuries on the regular. They probably <laughs> would benefit from taking drugs and it would probably like, there might be something out there to help with concussions that would make it probably healthier for that sport. Oh, for sure. Arguably. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question. I think, I think for, for, uh, there's always the, the general response that like, when we talked about potential and mm -hmm. genes and like what I'm born with, what I'm, what am I capable with what I'm born with? Mm -hmm. I think people don't know how far they can go. Uh, and they won't push themselves hard enough without first stepping down to take the easier route with drugs. So, and this is my position and this is why I say no to people that ask about them. Yeah. It's because, um, well, actually I'll, I'll, I'll reframe that. I say, yeah, you can do whatever you want. As soon as you prove that your brain is not the reason why you fail or quit. Yeah, and so I think for, for like teenagers, mm -hmm. they're not gonna push their brain hard enough and they're gonna definitely take, if this was legal, they're definitely gonna step to that. Sure, um, but they already do and get away with it with various study drugs. Yeah, that's I fair. mean, if if, 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 yeah. if we take you know, if we talk about Adderall for for example, um, you know, modafinil, if they can get a hold of that, it's a little bit less uh, destructive, maybe or whatever. But you know, th those performance enhancing drugs are okay in within a certain context. And the fact that if you know Michael here and I were studying for the same exam in school and he was up all night, fucking jacked up on those little white and orange pills, um, <laughs> uh, he's gonna have no know, result. Color they are. No. <laughs> And, and he got the job, on this. you know, he, he you know, he, he, and he, he passed the test with a higher score. He got the job that I didn't get. Then I'm going to be like some pissed off athlete and be like, but wait, he took, he, you know, he bought his way. He was willing to take more risk. He had access to, he, you know, all of these things that denied me my rightful job that I'm fucking entitled to. But, you know, I won't even drink coffee because I'm worried about the long-term health, um, effects of caffeine or or whatever it is like, like it's okay you know in academia it's okay in the world of business i mean you oh, know, i think it's okay pro like, is the fucking ceo drug or i mean it's just um or, or you know supposedly as long as it's prescribed to you called that <laughs> right yeah, as yeah. long as you're buying it from the doctor and not the street corner ex well it somehow is okay it, so, it somehow is okay <laughs> exactly so you yeah, but then I don't have financial access to it, or I don't have a good GP, or whatever. But the and and then also in the arts, um, you know, it's same kind of thing, it, where it's okay, like recreational drugs to create, you know, to create great art. It's totally fine. But the person who's not willing to do that may not have access to the same sort of spiritual pool or what of whatever of creative energy, and so they're off the back. They're going to be, you know, they have to go to work 
um, as a you know as a commercial artist as opposed to doing fine art or you know as the as the graphic designer or whatever it is. And like I honestly I just don't see the difference across the board. If it's like I, illegal one place, it's got to be for all. And here's my this and, is my disappointment and, in how and vice versa. And in how the convert and this is why like I was really curious as to how this would unfold and the decision that went behind documenting this this doping that happened because it. How I see it is, it, well, it it just went back to what the armchair warrior would say, right? Like it went back to, oh, they're cheaters. The same guy who uses Ambien to go to sleep, who uses coffee to fucking wake up, who uses diet pills to lose weight, who pushes every easy button in the world is the person that goes, oh, yeah, he's a cheater. And I go, like I can't, like, and I don't know, Ricky, I've never met the guy. And I don't know what he's like, um, but the drugs did not make him right. They, they, he unfortunately, um, unfortunately or fortunately, whatever this does for his future, he made a decision that was unhelpful to his future. And on, and what I would say, I would argue the 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 detrimental thing about drugs is they are unhelpful in fulfilling actual human potential because they become a linchpin for our capability. Yeah, right. That's it, probably crossed its biggest beef of them. And that and that's what I would agree with. I what I what I would disagree the, with those. Part of the reason that I think that people start taking them is because of the like we tend to hide knowledge as a society mm-hmm. about those things that are illegal. That we don't. I don't want you to know more about that th- blue pill. Th- that blue th- pill's aspirin, THC or <laughs> CBD or something. I don't want you to know. You can't find out about that. I'm sorry. Um, and and then when it comes to the performance enhancing drugs, it's just like there's no there's not a, a way for someone who's trying to make an informed decision to become informed in a way to do it, you know, uh, well. I guess. And and well by meaning like look I can if and you were bringing up the SARMs thing and you just go wow the the liver damage with this or the potential downstream effects or in the future that we don't really know anything about because these are relatively new as far as I can my experience with 10 to 12 years or yeah not not enough lots of chinese lab rats yeah not enough time to really develop to really know but then know what's going on with them but then you but you might like start doing some research and realize like wow nobody's ever died from this and nobody you know got five years taken off the back end of their life and died some horrible you know with some horrible you know flesh and muscle wasting disease or something (laughs) that came as a result of this so it must be safe but there, but there's no way to to make that decision due to lack of information, and and I think you know hiding information. I mean, this business that we used to work in. I mean, that's like, that's the source of all powers. Like withhold information, um, and, you know whether whether that is actually true power or not. But I I think there's there's a a a, a natural tendency to try to hide the information from people about these things, and therefore they do end up making bad decisions, and they do end up, you know. Uh, getting caught yeah and uh, and i'm not gonna say it's it yeah fuck i'll sit on that one i'll stand on it yeah <laughs> i i don't how and this is we'll come back to the emily abbott thing because i did want to bring that up because that was a fairly shocking one yep right like um and, and maybe it's shocking because we all we all if you know who she is uh and, and you follow her she's a, a very like i don't know how to describe her but she seems like a very jovial character like extremely jovial she's genuine very straightforward right. what you see is what you get with Emily Abbott um, and very smart to- yeah 100% and so like one of the biggest arguments on 
uh, for her is if she was knowingly taking it, she's smart enough to know when to get off of it. But and, okay, so that that's our, and <laughs> nice. this is where I go. And yeah. this, I'll like, go the opposite side, right? Because negligence. Um, and there was there was a couple local ones that popped that I know personally. Yep. And I and I know them personally to the point where I go, ooh. And I try to remap how they got involved. Like, what was the conversation that reframed the acceptability of taking a substance? And I think it mostly has to do with silence, right? It has to do with um, there's there's nobody talking about you know the potential benefits of doing such a thing or making such a decision or. Uh, an open conversation about the side effects versus this. It's not a neutral conversation. It's if you get caught, you're bad. But if you take it and you get away with it, a-okay. Like there's this secrecy that pervades it is is the hardest thing for me to deal with because if there was more information and there was more knowledge, then actually probably less people would do it, right? It, it's the same thing with, with, I would say with alcohol. Like if you don't have a conversation about it and you don't like with your kids and how they approach the possible, um, you know, downfalls of drinking alcohol at a young age, whether it's brain damage or whatever, if you just like are quiet about it or even sex for young people, if like, if you don't have a conversation about responsibility, it's going to go the worst way that it can. Sure. Right. Abstinence is 100% never the answer to anybody who's going to partake in something. So I see it the same way as like, what's the conversation that surrounds this stuff? And Emily Abbott's view, and, and this is where I'll take a different view, where um, WADA comes in, they go, well, if it's negligent, then there's less sentence. You just have to be more, like a slap on the wrist, you know, uh, you already fulfilled your, your sentence as long as you can prove that it was negligent. And I'd say like, well, what are we teaching people? That it's okay not to know? Yeah. And I would go the opposite and say, no, the person who knowingly and will, willingly cheated and got caught probably deserves a lesser sentence than the person who didn't know what they were putting in their fucking mouth. I, Sorry. <laughs> like, I, <laughs> I, I don't know if I agree or disagree. I, Our stance was that it doesn't matter. You're the same band that Ricky sure. got. Yeah. And yeah. so um, four years. They couldn't. Is that what Emily Abbott got? It was four years. Four years. Ouch. Because even when it was negligence. Yep. Because we don't know, we can't like you can't prove that it's negligence. Sure, like that's just a frame of mind, and and negligence is like as smart as she is. I don't want to make any judgment characters on her, sure. but like, yeah, yeah. like the biggest one is her boyfriend. Like, what a jerk! To, oh like, yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> let's see where that goes. <laughs> that's not going to cause any hardship. Yeah, I didn't like, think that sharing fluids. Yeah. Was, like was sharing fluids. Was, was sure, yeah. Like if <laughs> like, if she wow. doesn't know and he's doing that, like what a jerk. And then like, yeah, I don't know, but but for her to not realize that this was happening, I mean that it says a lot about the relationship. But like, I try to know everything my wife's taking, and sure. have an understanding of it, and and it's just so that in like the odd case that something goes wrong, I know like okay, this is what's happening with my wife. Mm -hmm. Here's some solutions. Here's what's happening to the doctors, and they can help. Right, an informed so, help with an informed I should decision. I should tell Selena so that if she finds me face down on the living room floor with a <laughs> syringe sticking out of my ass someday, she'll she'll know what was in it. You know, just <laughs> or it's ketamine. Just calm down. Just it was ketamine. Exactly. I just K-holed myself <laughs> in the afternoon, and you came home and caught me. I, I, there is, which I guess wouldn't be too far. I hear Emily Abbott really likes mushrooms, which yeah. I would appreciate about her, but. That's a different. That's a different drug and like, a different advantage. Hashtag is like psychedelic 
fitness or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'd agree nice. with that exploration. Um, and that's a totally illegal behavior, mm-hmm. but I don't think it's, well, A, it's not performance enhancing to be on mushrooms. Yeah, I've always been curious if like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you're raising your eyebrows, like maybe it might be. <laughs> it depends on the type of event you're uh, engaging in, I think. A three-hour marathon row? I almost think you get too distracted and just be on, you'd be having a great time, but your three-hour marathon time would be six hours. You just forget what you're doing. You'd, but, but yeah. Then again, I haven't had any streams in my life, so it's, I don't know what would okay. happen. <laughs> yeah, speaking like, on like the most the, focus, the ability to focus does become very enhanced. To, to go back to the this, the <laughs> idea of like, because one of the things that you brought up before was like, oh, these things aren't, Ill, you know, vis-a-vis water and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. These are not illegal because we can't test for them. Mm-hmm. And that was how the, uh, I guess, back in the cycling, you know, it would have been sort of late 80s, early 90s. Mm. Um, even into the late nineties, the, the 50 the, rule. Yeah. The, f- yeah. the 50% rule of, of the hematocrit because they couldn't, they knew that people were using, um, EPO exogenous EPO and, and, uh, um, in, in order to increase their hematocrit, but, but they couldn't actually test for it. Mm. They but they could test the percent of someone's hematocrit vis-a-vis total plasma volume. And so they said, all right, you can't go above 50%. And so the guy who walks at 49, <laughs> that's a shitty deal for him because mm. he can't really take much without getting over 50. Mm. And then, um, and then there's the guy, you know, or like myself, I'd, you know, walk around at 38% or something like that when I got my anemia on. And, uh, um, and so, so I could benefit a lot from taking the, the drug and the guys who were, you know, who were, who were renowned at that time, um, uh, Bjarne Reese, I think, was known as Mister Fifty Six for one of his, you know, tests. That, and, and I think that it might have been before the fifty percent limit was established or whatever. But Pantani got pop, pulled out of a race because yeah. after you got there was a there was a crash. He went to the hospital, they drew some blood, and they're like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! You're a you're a little run a little thick there, son." <laughs> um, and it, it, and so, but as soon as they developed a test, then the exogenous use mm-hmm. uh, um, EPO became became illegal, uh, and. and so I, I there, there must be things out there still, you know, now, I mean, I don't know what the, what it is, but just the fact that, okay, we can't make it illegal because we can't test for it or because it's in everything or mm-hmm. whatever really kind of throws a wrench into the, uh, in, in, into the whole discussion in some way. Obviously there are things that you know, work better than other things, but uh, was it Ferrari who said, uh, no amount of drugs is going to turn a donkey into a thoroughbred. Yeah. Yeah. I th- and I've heard it put other ways, like you can't make a, a pit bull out of a chihuahua, which is the, the genetic thing. Like, you know, nobody in this room is going to win the CrossFit games <laughs> or they're not going to win the Tour de France. There's just these things are not possible for certain people, in which case, what are we trying to do with sport? Like at the level that we compete at it and and maybe that's a less maybe we're just looking at um the importance of requiring these very strict and arbitrary rules at the top level is that so sport remains um the proper philosophical thing that it is for people that are below uh, the world-class level or whatever that's the only way i can frame it. And, and i i feel like i have meaning very- sort of like the you you it's the place where um human potential and getting close to it is the most um uh, it's the most obvious physical expression of it i guess right so our teenagers 
understand that how they approach something is the way the best in the world approach something, right? It's an example of, you know, Matt Frazier doesn't use anything and he did this incredible thing. And if you want to be incredible, you got to approach it that way, not try to find shortcuts, not try to find um, a magic pill or answer. You have to work very hard, um, figure out your own brain, work on your weaknesses, whatever the, 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 I don't know, whatever the <laughs> slogan that goes along with that. I see that as the importance of clean sport or, or maintaining that there's uh, a reason behind this arbitrary uh, rules. And, and it sounds like I have like really strong opinions, but really I'm just probably confrontational with dogma. And I think that's what I'm really hinting at because I, I, I do agree that they are harmful somehow. I don't think in the way that people think. Like I don't think taking testosterone does anything negative other than your psychology now is tied towards taking a substance and that is not you. That That's not you accomplishing something. That's you having to depend on something in order to accomplish something. And that's, so uh, yeah, I agree 100% that I think that like my, my buddy Chris Bell made that bigger, stronger, faster movie, yep. which I thought was great. It was yep. fascinating. And he didn't really take a side. He just asked the question. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and he gave some information and I learned a lot from it. I think the purity aspect of having a clean sport to motivate the youth mm-hmm. is a huge thing. And I think to go back to kids who are taking pills and their parents that are allowing them to do that, to focus and to study better mm-hmm. so they can get into Yale or whatever it is, I think you're you're teaching your kid a long-term problem that you'll regret in 20 years, but you'll maybe really enjoy in the next five. But it's going to save me if that kid, if I can turn him into a study machine, I don't have to pay for college because <laughs> he's getting a full scholarship. So it's in my financial best interest, actually, to get him hooked up. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I'm, right I'm, now. I'm, right, yeah, exactly. But wait, wait till he's addicted to heroin and, and you have to find out. I mean, what that's the why I'm injecting my stepdaughter with TV. EPL. Yes, exactly. Because yeah. <laughs> I like my TV. I, I like all my things that I have. But this is, the, like the, for me, this is the biggest thing. And I um, wrote a couple sermons about it back in the day that um, about performance-enhancing drugs is that the, the sort of ubiquitousness of PED use um, keeps us from believing in human potential when we see something remarkable happen. Like the immediate thing, somebody goes, wow, look at these, the, the, any of the female athletes at the games, and they're just gonna look at them and go, uh, it, the, the, the immediate response is disbelief. Yep. That, 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 that they are cheating, that they are taking drugs because of this history. And I think this is what dopers have robbed us of, is our belief in being able to go further on our own, our belief in our own ability, that, mm-hmm. it, that it didn't come from a drug, that it didn't come from, you know, that like every, and I, I fall into the same trap, every single incredible sport performance I see now, there's that niggling, I mean, especially mm-hmm. if it's an effort-based thing, as a, you know, let's say, um, I, I, I don't need to give you, but an effort-based example of some kind, and I see it and I'm just like, fuck, that was amazing. How but, did I do it? But, yeah. but, exactly. But then there's some, but the asterisk is already in my head based on this previous behavior. Yes. And that's the, the, this for me. So it's not a moral thing and it's not a, I took his job because he wasn't willing to, you know, take the drugs that I was willing to take. You know, it's just like it, to me, it's just, it, it, it is something. And this is um, one of the reasons that I think that the, the games existing and developing and maturing in the way that they are and being televised and that being, you know, um, people having 
uh, exposure to that is that, look, this is what can happen. If you just go back 10 years and look at this same thing, I don't remember what your first year the games yeah, 2007, was. 2007, yeah. You look at what they're doing then compared to now. Con- it's ridiculous. And the somatotypes mm-hmm. that are being produced by the work that's being done, the change, you know, who, the, the, and it, and, that, and, and as you pointed out earlier, it's not necessarily selecting for a specific body type because there is the guy who's 5'10", 170, mm-hmm. and there are the guys who are 6 feet, 6, 240, you know, whatever. And they're in the same final event, you, yes. you, you know, in a way. And you just realize like, okay, this means that my potential could could, could be open-ended. Yes. Um, and so, you know, when you come down and say, look, we've, we're, we're, we're testing and these people are getting and we're making the penalty – serious enough that you know the smart play is, n- is to be natural yes and <laughs> and so k- kudos um bravo whatever i mean i think it's actually pretty fucking amazing thing thank you that's literally like how you started that sentence that statement was exactly how the redeemed and dominant starts like we intro all the characters and then we go into like what these guys are doing is so amazing mm-hmm. that you automatically assume it's got to be steroids and like when you see something incredible happen in any sport now, you, you you always have that little thing in the back of your head going, yeah, that's awesome. But what's going on behind the scenes there? And yeah, or cool is there something? Yeah. I mean, even, if, even if you ask the question from a totally neutral point of view. You're still like, asking the question. You're still asking the question. Yeah. But, but I, I, I think um, that's, that's a downfall of what our information age is also giving us. Like almost too much information, right? Like there is no such thing as heroes anymore. So we have to detract from people that are doing great things. And I think that's, that's like Mark said, that's the problem with drugs. Like they are sport was supposed to show us what humans are capable of. Um, and if we always question what they're doing, then we're not going to, we're not going to believe we can do something ourselves, yep. which it doesn't inspire you. And it comes back to what I think CrossFit was very good at doing is getting people to do hard things and teaching people that it's okay to do hard things. And, uh, I'm not saying that you should abolish it. I think the the conversation there was an opportunity to have a conversation about the morality of sure. it. Sure, I think for for us as filmmakers, the mm-hmm. story we didn't like. I I didn't want to go into. There's a lot of stuff that I left on, oh, on sure. out of the conversation about <laughs> totally drugs sure. and like stuff that I don't even know the answer to mm-hmm. about like how our process works. Like I learned a lot in the last year about uh, how our policy works and how we test for things. Mm-hmm that we didn't really even go into. The story we wanted to tell was basically like, look, this guy, we have our sandbox, Mm -hmm. he didn't play within it, and as a result, he stole from those that did. And it wasn't necessarily to say, hey, he's a bad person. It was to build up Patrick Vellner, who took fourth and should have had those awesome moments. Yeah, he missed his opportunity to actually be in the position that he deserved to be in. So like, he took fourth, and then he was literally second on events behind Ricky Garrard. Yeah. And those moments when you win an event and you have the celebration shot, like those photos, those captured moments Mm -hmm. are things that people remember. And as an athlete in this sport, is extremely valuable and profitable for when you go to try and get sponsors and try to get endorsements. Right. Like those types of things are huge dollar signs that were taken away from third place Patrick Vellner or other athletes that could have Yeah, the whole line. The whole, anyone anyone that, like he won the cyclocross race, Matt Fraser would have been second. Yeah. And so he would have had that moment and that's, you know, a billable thing for him. And so yeah. those are things that like that's what he's taking away from other people. And then being on the podium, holding up his flag, like that's a huge moment for an athlete. And 
Patrick Fellner learned about it in his basement, you know? Right. <laughs> well, so what are the reparations that go in? Because how I understand the games, if you win an event, there's a payout for that. Yeah. Do, 3, they, go, bucks. do they go back in and uh, repair all those things and pull away from Ricky Jard? Or is it just kind of like, yeah. uh, you messed up? I think the only thing that happened was, so we hadn't paid him any of the money. So you mm-hmm. don't walk out of there with like. Sure, yeah. You like, mean that big check? You don't yeah. take that thing. <laughs> you don't to catch the, that. And like there's, there, there's an event in Dubai, the Dubai Fitness Challenge. Yeah, yeah, the I, DBX. I they literally like I don't know if they do it anymore but when you won an event you'd walk up and they'd just open the briefcase full of cash and yeah. hand you money <laughs> like, sounds very was, uh, <laughs> sounds very Middle Eastern yes it sounds awesome does it smell like blacked out so that when the IRS agent is watching the thing on TV <laughs> does it like, smell uh, like oil like uh, yeah, yeah I think they pull it right out of the refinery uh, but but we hadn't. I don't think we paid him, and so all the money that he should have won an, or he would have won an mm. events was paid to the right athletes. Okay. That's the cool. only thing he has was the original medal. Like we gave him his medal, and he walked away with it. I think mm. we've changed that policy now, where we don't give out anything at the until games until passes. after you pass the test. Interesting. Because uh, is of it, that, but isn't that the, like this is what I would say about you know besides the obvious damage? This is a really long stretch but the the obvious damage of like a terrorist attack like september 11th is that it did in fact change exactly what they wanted to change yeah. like the ideology changed and therefore like the people who dope um and, and and get caught are still costing other people like this they're changing the frame in which sport happens and that's sometimes the damage right like do we? Uh, I think I kind of like where you went with that. Dopers are terrorists. Is that what you're <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in a way. Like, I have to take my fucking shoes off at the airport. Like they won, as far as I'm concerned. Like there I have is to piss fear the all the way the, down the line. There's fear everywhere. Anytime we you get pay on a plane. hundreds of millions of dollars to act like we're not scared, but everyone's terrified. In which case, I go. You know, the win here is just to be like, uh, no, it's a free for all at the airport. You want to risk flying? You can fly. Like, yeah, there maybe is a pat down, but it's a privately owned thing. We're not going to go through these escapades of standing through the holographic machine or whatever the fuck they shoot at you. It's just like, no, you, you want to fly somewhere quicker? Here's the risk that's involved. That would be the win. As opposed, in, in, in sport, I see something very similar. It's like the win is not in changing your policy to affect the people who are abiding by the rules. The, the, the win is in punishing those who have broken the rules no matter what it is, the arbitrary, you know, whether it's drugs or or using the run grips, or, or yeah, using the yeah. What was the like wrap your wrap your thumb? Anyway, that, <laughs> that was it. So thing. I was just curious, actually. Speaking of you know the run grips or illegal wraps or whatever, um, you know, I'm watching the pegboard thing the other day, and sure. some people are having some trouble, and I'm just like, just fucking resole your shoes with sticky rubber. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, because so so for that reason <laughs> i think in years past the pegboards have been really slick this yeah. year i don't think that was the case people that have done it in like 15 and 16 said this year the pegboard was pretty sticky was stickier oh, than, really? than previously the, interesting but okay but um you have to wear this they all wear the shoes assigned like they're given shoes at the beginning of the week yeah. Okay. Well, so I was gonna say, like, yeah, maybe I'd I buy a go. pair of Reeboks and take them to get resold like <laughs> a couple months before. <laughs> get some gummy resold. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and the sad part about this, this, this is where this comes. This is the unbelievable, and this is where I'll be a realist, and this is where I get mad at armchair warriors that sure. yell elbows at UFC or whatever. You could try to cheat all you want. You're not gonna fucking beat those people. Like, 
if you've seen yeah. and this this was this was the shocking reality going full fledged so uh Brooke Entz was on a job with us in, in yeah. Justice League, so, right? So just and Wonder Woman too. Yeah. Wonder Woman. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um so she was in and out of the gym and I constantly um get after people that hide from the uncomfortableness of being beat by somebody that they're afraid of. On a particular day where I was teaching somebody that lesson, Brooke happened to ask if I want to do a workout with her. And I was like, fuck. Like, I, <laughs> I literally just got done bitching because somebody didn't, didn't want to do a workout with her because she was going to beat them. And I was like, that's ridiculous. Like, she is insane. You sh it should be a privilege to, like, see what that horsepower looks like in yeah. real time and understand your speed and associate. So I was like, yeah, sure, I'll put on my shorts. <laughs> it was miserable, but there was something so phenomenal because I'm, uh, look, you give out a workout, I know exactly how I'm going to pace it. Like, I know myself pretty well. I gave all that up because I wanted to keep up. I wanted to keep up for as long as I possibly could. Even though it's one workout out of many, she could crush the living daylights out of me. But I, I held on for two rounds. And then something happened where I went, ow, this hurts. She said the same thing at the same time and got mad and went faster I quit basically. Like I didn't quit full on, but she sped up and I slowed down. Like my effort declined and it's like, okay, there's the difference. No matter what I take, no matter what substance, no matter how I excuse a performance, I don't have that mental capability that she showed me in real time, which was fuck this pain. I'm going to keep going harder and I'm going to prove that I can do this thing. That, that is what I want to see on a banner. Like that's what I want to teach people. That's what I want to learn how to do myself that kind of thing. And I, I wish I wish that was the conversation around this kind of stuff, about watching people do things is like, you know, and that, that's what's great about uh, cycling sometimes is like, yeah, you can go ride the Alpe d'Huez. Like, go to the, go to Italy and ride the Giro course. Yeah, do and, it. And it, there's times, like start to finish, see how you compare to something, like use Strava or whatever, and just see how you compare to some of the best people in the world and understand what human potential looks like. And then, try to be better and that, that's that's what i think is really good about the games and, and and crossfit in general because it's an artificial environment it's a gym that everybody could have access to and now there's this i i mean a plethora of athletes who match every somatotype that you could go hey i look kind of like that or i have a similar background as that person i wonder how they did that and i wonder how i would compare to that thing i, I think that's a good tool and that's exactly like one of what makes the open so great mm -hmm. is you're literally for five weeks doing the same workout, maybe five times, <laughs> and I'm get, still getting beat by Matt Fraser. It doesn't, it doesn't, doesn't matter, matter how well I, I slept last night. <laughs> it doesn't matter. I'm what still going to lose to Brooke Entz. You know? <laughs> and I, this is that's kind of a funny part because okay, um, I I didn't do the Open until 2014. Okay, and I came in kind of I was feeling pretty good about myself. Yeah, I thought you were a hot shot. Totally, like, we all. So the first so 2014 14.1 was uh, 15 snatches at 75 pounds and 30 double unders. Yep. I'd Repeat. never done a double under before. But I have a you know four-year history of Muay Thai where I jump rope, so I figured it out that morning. Like, oh, I can do double unders. It's not a big deal. I don't know why people struggle with these. And then <laughs> I, I was like, so I can do this workout. And no I was problem. looking at it, and I saw like, oh, Sam Dancer posted like 10 rounds or something. He's definitely and, bigger than me. I yeah, should be fine. Yeah, I can breathe better than him, obviously. Like, I'm a cyclist. I'm an aerobic machine. And I'm really good at 10-minute efforts. So so I just made this plan. And, uh, like, I started it. And I was like, ah, oh, like, maybe I'm just not motivated or whatever. So I got, like, I think 
I think seven and a half rounds or something. I was like, ah, but it's by myself in a dark room. You know, I need some competition. So I actually, I went to a CrossFit gym of people that I didn't know. And I was just like, oh, they're doing the open. So I'm going to do it with them. So I, I don't know if you know this girl, but um, the guy who owns the gym, we had met at a previous competition. It was like a weightlifting competition. And so he's like, oh, you should go with Mickey. She'll, she'll do pretty well. And I looked at Mickey Nuccio. Uh, she's at a central east. She's she's qualified for regionals for the okay. past like seven years on two days of CrossFit. Like she's a freak beyond all freaks. Uh, she does yoga four times a week, CrossFit twice a week, and she always makes it to regionals. So I think she she set the world record for Jackie in 2012. Oh, okay, she she's an engine for sure. Um, and so I looked at her and I was like, ah, whatever. Like I can beat her. Like I'll just keep pace with her. And then when I want to finish strong, I'll just pass her. None of that shit happened. (laughs) It went from bad to worse to me, like laying on the floor, not understanding what, what just happened to me. And that, like that humility that was built off of that process led to the development of better practices. And that that's really what it was useful for. The open was unbelievably hard. And every year I, fucking hate it it is hey <laughs> i've never i don't think i've ever been healthy i'm either sick or injured or something that goes into it which allows traveling me to a perfect excuse yeah um but, but i think if like if you three hundred eighty thousand people around the world can do this thing and can understand like you know partake in the same exercises and then see what people are capable of i think that that illuminates a lot about how complacent we are like what was i doing that made me so shitty like, wh- where did I give up? Where did I And quit? why didn't I think it was shitty at the time? Right. Is, is mostly it. I mean, it's just like, it's just reinforced. It's like, no, you sh- you've had a tough day. You should treat yourself. <laughs> you know, to, <laughs> right. To whatever, as opposed to, no, you had a good day. You should go celebrate <laughs> in the gym or, or outside yeah. on a, you know. Yeah, wherever you can get it in, I think always exploring that, that capability. I think is important. And and that's kind of, I get that would be, I don't know, a a center theme that we always come across is we can always appreciate when somebody's trying to find out whether they're capable or not, whether it's through art and photography or, or, uh, filmography or athletics or any of this stuff. I, I think that, and there's a close tie between them, right? Like capturing, um, capturing moments like you do. Um, I've shared, uh, that we have a friend of ours that, uh, was filming some gym stuff. And so I showed him your films and I was like, there's a way to understand and capture movement. And it's really hard if you haven't done movements like a if snatch. you haven't done the movement, right? Yeah. yeah. And you don't know what's about to happen or what, um, you still think that, you know, uh, you know, unfortunately, uh, when you make the deadlift, that bar presses on your thighs and it's not the it's not the photo you want to take of a girl. No. It's a and it's flatter, not, unflattering, it's an angle. unflattering yeah. thing. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, I, and I think I, I showed him. Uh, I think I showed him a video you did that you had shot, and it might have been you and Marston of um, uh, of Brooke. And there was some weird thing like where you had cropped it, so you couldn't even tell what was going on, but you completely translated what that movement of a snatch should look like without even seeing where it ended or where it fit. Like it was cropped very strangely, but you captured the essence of that movement. I was trying to share that with him and it, and it was kind of an interesting moment. It was like, oh, uh, like you will never understand this because, or, or you won't understand this until you can do it yourself because that is a very clear thing. And I think 
Well, well, maybe that's a question for you. Like the more you do this, do you find that translates very well? Like when you do physical work, you can translate that picture to how you capture it? Yeah, I think it's just being involved in the sport and being involved in knowing how things should look and and like a snatch that I would have filmed in 2007, <laughs> I would never put into a video now because it's not it's not the way it probably should look, you know? Sure. Like, but back then I would have been like, oh, that's, you know, she's just pulling the weight from the ground overhead and that's what it should look like. Right. But now I know how the, the body should be moving and what the weight should look like and mm -hmm. you can tell when it's fake. Right. You can tell when, when things are, are not, like if I watch a movie now where they have a someone that should be athletic, and they're an actor and they're running, it doesn't look right. Or if they're not lifting weights, it doesn't look right. And you're like, yeah, that's that's not how much, that's not what 225 pounds should look like. They're faking it. Right, um, there's a certain speed at which yes. that weight flies and falls. And that's moves and how the mo how, and how the body moves. Right. And when you're, when you're able to do these things, this is what you look like, unless you're like just, ex you're, you're muscling through it. And it's very rare to see uh, like those are anomalies, but like if I'm efficient in a movement, I know what efficiency looks like mm -hmm. now in movement. And so that's probably the biggest thing I've learned in, in filming the sport that I don't think like I could give a camera to a, a phenomenal cinematographer mm -hmm. or cameraman and they would go to a CrossFit gym or any gym and film something and it would probably look cool and beautiful. No, they, they would set up the uh, ring and then they would shoot through the ring. Yeah. And that, like, isn't that the yes. colloquial picture they could take? Yes. <laughs> There's the generic, like, oh, this is a cool gym shot. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and so you'll get that or like the, the chalking up of the hands in <laughs> slow motion. Like, who the f who's this douchebag that's spreading this chalk everywhere? Like, I used to always yeah. get pissed when I'd see chalk shots in videos. Right, from right. Like, yeah. I don't want to encourage that kind of behavior. Yes, the... yes. <laughs> who's doing this in the gym? It's so hard to clean up. Uh, but for, so, Well, yeah. now we know because we yeah, got them we got on them camera. The, yeah. <laughs> 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 Next time they show up to the gym, we just hand them a yeah, mop. Yeah, yeah, mop. Hey, welcome back. Here you go. Clean up your crap. Uh, so yeah, things like that is probably the biggest thing I've learned, which is uh, is how the body should move. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I don't often get in front of the camera, but when I do, I'm always like, yeah, I'm not moving like that. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> or like that day when we were filming, you came out to C2X and I was uh, filming with my buddy and you took out your camera to photograph. I was like, I got to make sure my elbows are up on this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Reinforce good. <laughs> gotta, hey, if, if only I'm a catalyst. <laughs> yeah, exactly. For better technique. That's all, that's all I'm good for. I don't know. You don't even have that. to, that was probably the camera that didn't even. Have, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, no, it was just like making the click, click, click yeah. noise. Yeah, for sure. Um, um, what is what is next for you? Obviously, you got to kind of wrap up and tell the story that this previous season just was. Yeah, um, my long term goals are, are: I have a family with two kids, and I want to be in their lives, and I want to be a part of them growing up mm -hmm. to uh, as much as much of a degree as possible while still doing this. My long term goal has always been to go to Hollywood and make movies and be in the film industry. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and, but I look at like my job and my lifestyle now versus what I imagine <laughs> Hollywood is like. And I don't think that I would be able to be as present as I want to be in my kids' lives if I went and directed big movies right now. So I have a really cool job that allows me to travel, be around amazing people, while also still developing my skills as a storyteller and as, as a filmmaker that 
I'm hoping in when my kids are old enough where they've kind of moved on, then I could move into that chapter and, mm. and, and work in Hollywood and, and make big movies that have a bigger impact. Nice. Are the, when you see sort of the future of the, of documentaries about CrossFit and maybe fitness in, um, generally or, or whatever, do you, do you see an arc here? Like, it, or is it, is the the only difference in the of let's say next year's output or the year after that the personalities who are involved in it? Uh, I think in that, a way is it like is it is it an evolving story? I, I, I guess in I, I think the CrossFit Games are uh, definitely an evolving story. Okay, because it, because of what's becoming more and more possible. Because like you look at 2007 to now, that's 11 years, 12 years of the CrossFit Games. Yeah. And what they were doing then to now is amazing. Mm. But then you look at what they were doing on the marathon, half marathon row in 2013 to what they just did last Wednesday night. And it's like Margot beat her half marathon row time by a couple of minutes. And yeah. Like, <laughs> while, while doubling this length of time she's on the rower. So like what w- these people are becoming capable of is we're just scratching the surface, I think. And then... Uh, adding in new like you mentioned earlier like mm. this is it's arguable that we haven't really tested a, a long endurance test before but i think you'll see people preparing for longer endurance mm. events just like, in case just in case <laughs> like like i haven't seen an athlete that's been like hey i did a, an iron man last month to mm. get ready for the crossfit games because i think in their minds that that's something that's too extreme and they won't test it maybe they're right but Dave Castro is pretty demented, so maybe, you know, <laughs> he wants to see what you're not prepared for and bringing that out. Like you saying to Margot Alvarez that, hey, you should be fine unless it's a crit race, <laughs> should have been the first indicator that you got to be ready for a crit race. Because yeah, that's yeah, exactly yeah. The, what he's going to find and bring in and test. Like he just loves looking at everyone's social media, talking to athletes, seeing what they're training, and then talking to specialists in other areas mm-hmm. and figuring out how can I bring that into this test and finding something new to push these guys into new levels and new directions. And so I think the story of the test is continuing to get interesting and the story of what CrossFit's doing as a as a health company, like I think we're just now scratching the surface of getting rid of the idea that CrossFit is dangerous. Like the sport of CrossFit could be dangerous, but CrossFit as a, as a general physical fitness program shouldn't be dangerous. It should be what people are doing to become healthy. And there might be aspects of it when you push yourself too far that can be dangerous, but there isn't something that like my 74 year old father, 70, I think he's almost 76, 76 year old father shouldn't be capable of doing or testing or pushing himself to be able to do push, pull, stand up, squat. Mm -hmm that I'm not doing just with more weight or different intensity levels. And so like that story is continuing to, to develop. And uh, I think we're only now brushing away the dangerous thing. And, and that opens the possibility for what uh, what impact CrossFit as a company can have worldwide. And it only took a couple lawsuits. Yeah, it only <laughs> it took like, a couple lawsuits. The, uh, that, that's been an interesting thing because as how I explain to most people is that um, well, the CrossFit brand, maybe this you'll enjoy this analogy, okay. is is akin to Coca Cola, right? Like <laughs> you've got my interest. Totally. So when I start a restaurant, right, I can carry Coca Cola products. Mm-hmm. Now, if I go to a restaurant and I get food poisoning, I don't blame Coca Cola for carrying their product at a restaurant that I ate at that gave me food poisoning. Yep. Right. CrossFit is much the same. Like CrossFit 
I don't, we can call CrossFit Battle Axe or whatever the, the I don't even know if that, that's probably a name. Probably so a name. I'm sorry. It's, probably it's, a hard, name, yeah. it's hard to find a CrossFit game <laughs> name. Yeah. yeah. Original now. <laughs> it, it, it's like a, people are getting desperate. Um, uh, but they're hosting a brand inside of their own company. And that, that misconception gets lost on the affiliation program. And I think once you realize that, that, that's why it's really hard to recommend just, hey, go to a CrossFit gym for some people, right? Because I tell people that all the time. Find a reputable CrossFit gym or find you know, a gym close to you and then ask some smart questions to try to figure out what kind of... I think that's the biggest thing. Is, right. Is getting you to, to not only like find a trainer that is a good trainer, but one that you'll go to and get along with. Yeah, yeah, or an environment that you like because not yes. all of them are the same, right? Yes. Like some are very cheerleading and I do not like it. Like I don't like people clapping in my face and yelling at me. I'm there to go hard anyway. Like you don't need to tell me to go hard. I'm going as hard as I fucking can. Right. So you you the way you're motivated is definitely different than the way exactly. like a 50 year old soccer mom but is motivated. But the person that really likes that positive reinforcement, great for them. Yes, exactly. And they need to find that environment, and maybe that's where they're they're gonna thrive. And I think that distinction was really important because um, there has been a lot of harm. Like the the injury rates for CrossFit are no different than running, like amateur running. I think the research we found is that they're almost less. It could be, yeah. yeah I, was, I, I was gonna say a lot of, and that's and that's yeah. because get hurt running. Running is fucking dangerous. Yes. <laughs> like, I, and and then so people make this comparison. I, I think this is a, an interesting topic because uh, I was a believer of the complex movements are dangerous, right? Fatigued lifting is so dangerous. In reality, there's not one thing that happens at a competitive level that isn't fatigued and isn't highly technical. Yes. Right. Sprinting. And, and 400 meter running, all these running exercises, they all happen in a fatigued uh, uh, state eventually, right? Uh, Jiu-jitsu and fighting and MMA, those are the most technically and skill uh, required uh, human activities that you could possibly think of. And they all happen in extremely fatigued states. The idea now uh, that I think a lot of people misunderstand because they're afraid of, uh, having to learn things. I think that's the big thing. Like when you say, hey, uh, CrossFit's dangerous and these complex exercises hurt people, that is a, that's a ticket that I don't have to punch, right? I don't have to teach somebody a snatch, which means I don't have to learn how to snatch myself. I don't have to teach somebody how to run properly or climb ropes or do a pegboard or all these different total, like basic gymnastics, let's just admit to teach them properly takes decades, right? That Like that, the development of proper gymnastics technique takes a really long time therefore if i just go there's no reason to handstand walk makes my job a lot easier totally pick yeah. up that kettlebell i learned how to do that in a weekend and I have a certificate for it yeah. therefore that's the tool that's the best it's the safest right it's totally easiest. safe and if the it's hip the easiest is involved to learn. right yeah, exactly. like so my hip is involved it's triple extension um it has i can quote off all the whatever studies that want to use uh to basically excuse my lack of wanting to learn and this is something that I, you know, had to learn the hard way because I first was really hesitant to use high intensity exercise with uh, Olympic lifts and gymnastic movements. That's because you were <clears throat> working in a gym that fostered sure. that particular culture. And and <laughs> and I ex because because and I accepted because complacency because know. it required less work. Yeah. Right. And and. and it also feigned this ex this false expertise over identifying dangers. Hey guys, I'm an expert because stay away from that. Yep. Right? I'm like, I'm the sheriff. Love that. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's, that's <laughs> like, I, I get very uh, wary of people with 
kettlebell certifications that overemphasize the utility of a kettlebell. Um, not to say that it's not a great tool. It's a great tool. It's not it, the only tool. No, it's a piece of metal that is heavy sometimes and for some people that eventually becomes very limited, right? Like eventually I need to find new things to grow and I need to. Oh no, man, there's no limit. I saw a kettlebell that weighed like 180 pounds out there once. <laughs> Isn't the one before that 88 or something? So there's like, there's I can only. Ridiculous jumps in the kettlebell Oh, those weights. are 206, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's just these, these large gaps. And then there's just limitations that you can do because the size of it limits your body position or whatever. And uh, I get, I get, you know, kind of skeptical of people that promote that as the ideal form, um, not only because I think that it's limited, but also I don't see the transferability from a kettlebell expert, a soul, and we all know they exist, right? The person yes. who's like, whatever the branding is, I think it used to be Dragon Door and then it was some Strong Russian guy. Strong first now. Yeah, I yeah, think. okay. So, and not yeah. to say that what they're doing is bad or that I would criticize any of their teachings because they're very good at using a kettlebell, but they seem to use that as a table to point to everything else that's dangerous and to stay away from anything else. But I don't see kettlebell people transfer into any other sport, right? There, there's no um, world-class runner that is also a kettlebell expert. There's no, um, there's really no, I don't know, to my knowledge, an MMA champion that's like, oh, no, I just use kettlebells. Like, they will use them because they're good conditioning tools, um, but there's there's no kettlebell expert that immediately transfers to other sports. You can see world-class weightlifters that are very good at gymnastics in the same day that they learn that technique because their body wear and the positions and all this stuff. The same thing could be said of gymnastics that have more than double body weight lifts in learning a power lift on the same day. So that's that's Matt Fraser, who was the Olympic lifter, exactly. who now has gymnastics, and Cody Anderson, who's the gymnast, who now is who exceptionally now has phenomenal on all of those. And, and I will take a, a friend of ours, uh, Alex Lachance, who's here, uh -huh. uh, a, a, very high, Lachance. Yeah, a, a very high level uh, gymnast, mm -hmm. gets into CrossFit, and then now she's a nationally ranked weightlifter. And, and she's very good at all of them. And we're talking, you know, a dense muscular female that can still do gymnastics at a very high level. Yep. You're like, okay, the transferability. Now, the real question is, can she swing a kettlebell? Who <laughs> fucking cares? <laughs> like, she can do backflips around people that swing kettlebells. The, it, it, and, and not to, I use that as like a moniker because it's an easy thing to identify sure. in, in the fitness spectrum of people that call it functional fitness right? Because we're not using isolated machines that also bash on this thing that they kind of don't understand. And I, I think that, that that's a designation that I, I would like people to be more aware of is that just because you bash something doesn't make you an expert. It doesn't make you a lone ranger. It doesn't make you special. It, Everyone wants to rule their kingdom. Exactly. And there's other kingdoms, and if yeah. I'm not satisfied in mine, I'm going to try and take over someone else's, right? <laughs> or, or at least keep keep people from looking at that other kingdom yes. so right. that yeah. so that they are the they, they reorient them. Yes. Yeah, they will build walls up. No, my thing is still really special though, because yeah. the kettlebell was used in the Russians in the early yeah. 1900s or whatever. Look how good they only lived. Yeah, and I've got this whimsical mustache that is kind of reminiscent of the strongman <laughs> era, even though nobody could lift a goddamn thing back then correctly. It's like look at a continental press and then talk about physiology or whatever you want to talk about. Anyway, I guess my rant can be over, but for the most part, I, I think that took me a long time to learn that lesson, to, to learn that like what I and, was seeing was to, actually a reflection of my own inability to learn. 
and a long time to, to learn it, but also um, to be okay with it. Yeah. Like to, to realize, because there was a period of time, certainly in my old organization, where like I recognized exactly what we were doing mm. with, you know, uh, since no one there could teach the Olympic lifts because no one had learned them because we were all fucking little guys that came. I mean, James was the only one who could make the bar float in, a, in an appropriate way. Um, <laughs> and, and we just look at him and like, I don't know how you fucking do that. I'm just going to ride my bike some more. Um, <laughs> and... <laughs> You know, or, or or whatever, like coming from from you know an outside background into a gym and realizing, like, fuck, this is just as technical as what I just spent ten years learning. If I look at this stuff um, and, and want to incorporate it into into this space, but um, I, I don't have ten years and I don't have three years, and my mouth is so fucking big that apparently I'm the expert, and so I can't, I just have to find a reason not to do that shit. So that I don't get found out. Yeah, mm. we'll do this other stuff, and you know we'll you know we'll paint it shiny colors or whatever, make it black and white and hardcore, and we'll have a skull, <laughs> even though no one has died in the gym yet. <laughs> I, I anyway, yeah, guilty as charged, and and it took a really fucking long time, and it took a really long time to get over sort of the you know the various confrontational aspects of what is kind of a fucked up industry when you know. It, when you look at it sort of from the outside and the 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 internal conflicts that happen over these seemingly trivial things, which, you know, when it's overhead, it's not that trivial, I guess. Yeah. Well, I, and we have more in common with people that are trying to get people fit, and yet those are where the battles happen. Yeah, you fight people that you you should get along with because of slight disagreements when the the bigger picture is, hey, we're not the enemy. Yeah. Right. You know, we're not the people that are trying to put sanctions on you. We're not trying to make your job any diffi more difficult. We're just trying to make people better. Which is probably why I, I harp a lot on um, what I'll call is the uh, wannabe CrossFit gym, but um, because they don't want to affiliate and they don't want to pay the fee or they find a problem or an expertise thing, um, there's this section of uh, boutique gyms that's yeah. a functional uh, business they probably don't see the absolute benefit. And this happens in weightlifting too, like the absolute antagonism in the weightlifting community from CrossFit for so long was like perverse, right? Like, it, it, like CrossFit is responsible for reviving that sport in America, 100%. Like the shoe industry alone brought it back to life. And if you can just run the numbers from you saw from when CrossFit started promoting weightlifting as a thing and see them the trajectory of weightlifting being in the red go back into the black and now yes. it's, it's still climbing to this day like yeah. they, they have more athletes and a bigger pool to draw from for their international competition than they've ever had and so it's not just them but there, there is this dysfunction in between the lines of uh, of different businesses especially in functional gyms where they don't probably understand also the other effects that CrossFit has had on their industry. And we mentioned one before when we were talking, and I, I think it's important that it's public is that like, despite all the things that I could criticize CrossFit for about like uh, brand things, or, you know, they said this about Coca-Cola and I like Coca-Cola or whatever, <laughs> besides all that stuff, they have single-handedly fought down the regulation that was going towards trainers, right? Yep. It, which is still being pushed by the NSCA, which is not a helpful body. Let's just say that. Yep. Like, uh, no matter what studies come out about what a bicep curl can do after a muscle biopsy and I get to see uh, mTOR in real time, 
they are trying to make it harder for me to practice my profession, which is to teach people to move more and eat better. Yep. Right. They're making that more difficult because it is money to them. If they are the body solely responsible for designating who's an expert, that's money in their pocket that makes them a superpower. And if, if you don't understand how, like if people don't understand how this works in doppel circumstances, hairdressing is now, uh, so it's illegal to cut someone's hair if you don't exactly, have a license and how right. like that has no impact on health it's just like the <laughs> dumbest th- it was an industry that got in in the 70s and the in the curriculum for that they, they wanted to designate as a profession um so that it would have all sorts of benefits associated with it but also so they could create an industry of education now i don't know if these numbers are still accurate but when i was hairdressing there was 250,000 new hairdressers put out every single year. Imagine, so what did they pay to have their $17,000 for tuition for a year of cosmetology school on average. If you go to wow. Vidal Sessions 29, I hear the average is much higher now. Yeah, it's gotta be. It has to be. And so you're looking at an industry That's of education. Quite that an not, industry. <laughs> they won't even produce like the amount, I think it's less than 5% are hairdressers after three years. And so you're looking at people that don't want to go to college, that want some sign of like, oh, I need a job. I need something. And I can now finance this thing through the federal government because they are licensed. They're federally insured to do this, whatever that fucking jargon goes. And so it almost ruined an industry because you're requiring people this unnecessary education. It takes a year of my life. I have to pay. Now I have to be in debt to, in order to be a hairdresser, in order to not go to college, basically. Yeah, exactly. And it artificially stimulates regulation that doesn't need regulating. Like they're still teaching um, regulatory capacities in, in permanence, like how to perm somebody's hair. Like, read it on the back of the box. To, totally. Like you have to, <laughs> I guarantee they don't understand the, the like molecular composition of the chemical that's involved into that. Yeah. Um, but what are you going to do? Fry somebody's hair? What's the worst thing that could happen? Oh, their, their hair looks ugly. Yeah. Like, oh, you burned their scalp with a chemical. Like it's a first degree burn or whatever. That's the worst possible thing. In in health and fitness, yeah, could you do somebody some potential harm if you're a bad trainer? Absolutely. You could. But that's you being a dumb person and the person agreeing to do the dumb thing even dumber. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes to all of it. Did that did I flow that correctly? That was beautiful. Okay. Yeah. So, that was a nice one. <laughs> and, and I think this is something, whether you agree with CrossFit or not, whether you use the methodology or not, you, you definitely don't need to. I'm not saying it's the end all be all to everybody. I think you do have to appreciate the fact that they have gotten to a point of power where they've influenced millions of people to partake in hard things. And they've also made it easier for us as a profession, whether you're a physical trainer through CrossFit or not, to practice your profession. You don't have to now go get some stupid one-year license and pay the government every year to update that license in order to teach somebody how to squat. Yep. If if it wasn't that, it would be a a federal offense to teach someone how to air squat. Yes. Yeah, but I can... can teach the fuck out of sitting down on a toilet and standing back up. <laughs> uh, yeah. Just got to call it something Just else. Just got to call it something else. This <laughs> yeah. is not a squat. This is a down up or whatever. I, this is a down up. It's a down. I do no, a down up. This is a crapper. Yeah. yeah, this is a crapper. That, it, it, yeah. The, their conversation that they're having, uh, I totally agree with. Um, the sugar thing is interesting. Um, not for the fact that they're demonizing sugar, just so we're clear. Yeah, well, the sugar. But what the industry has done 
to fabricate science and yes. that that's not worthy. And I think it's worth going after. And I'll, you're going after Coca-Cola, fucking hell. <laughs> like, Ballsy. That's not a small. Um, that's not a small. That's big game enemy. <laughs> right, right. Is that? <laughs> but I, I think in the you know one of the the big thing. I mean, the, for me, I've said it earlier on. on a, I think in a different podcast was I think that the genius. Um, in the beginning um, th- that Greg had was to sort of gamify exercise. Yep. But more important, because that brings people into it. It, it, it develops interest. It develops a, you know, a, it artificially establishes a trajectory of some kind rather than just the same drudgery every single day. But I think the other piece that was really, um, th- that has turned out in the long run to be extremely beneficial has been tying the dietary awareness mm. and the you know nutrition awareness um, to the, the the fact of exercise or the the act of exercise that it's not look this is not just you know oh I need to go on a diet which you know at a certain point meant restrictive which meant deprived which meant I'm not going to do it and um, just which meant it, sinning it, yeah exactly <laughs> uh, um, and, and restructuring the way and it's obviously there's a there's a long long road ahead still but restructuring the you know the 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 definition of diet well it's just a way of like putting stuff in your mouth and turning it into shit i mean that's you know and, and the, the 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 benefits or negative effects thereof um it's not it doesn't necessarily mean re- restriction or deprivation and that it, in fact it's not necessarily a uh, wow, it's not just a weight loss thing. It's a it's an improved performance thing. It's a better sleep thing. It's an improved cognitive function yeah. thing. That wow, that I can do this with non illegal substances that I can buy in a store that's not far from where I live. God damn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Who knew? And and since uh, you know people didn't know, I, I, you know, there's been this sort of educational um, arc. I think that has tied in with. Uh, with fitness and the development of just bringing more people into it. I mean, you said like 380,000 people for the open. I mean, there's probably brand name gyms around, you know, with, you know, franchises all over the you know U.S. that don't have 380,000 members, in, yes. you know, in all of them. I mean, that's and if they do, they're not attending. Right. Right. <laughs> oh, Hopefully, yeah. because there's, the machines would be broken. Yes. Yeah. yeah, there's 500,000 credit cards getting dinged for yes, sure. But exactly. <laughs> but, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, I, I um, it, at this point, nothing, nothing negative to say. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like, I, yeah. And for the most part, the 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 athletes that we run into or have interactions with, uh, um, they they real like they're developing in the way that I, I would expect hard sport to develop somebody, and, and that that's where I really changed a large part of my thinking towards that sport is that. Uh, I mean, competing in bikes is one thing. Like when somebody, when I f- did my first CrossFit competition, somebody asked me, they're like, what was it like? And I was just like, it, it was, a, it was, uh, it was actually Tommy Hackenbrook's uh, event. It was the Fitness Elevated. Oh yeah. What year? Yeah. Uh, 2013. Okay. Yeah. That's a fun event. Yeah. It was a, so it was the first one ever. I had shattered my elbow like that previous spring. So mm-hmm. I just, I, I couldn't race a bike cause I was scared. So I needed to do something to get my brain going. And so I had been lifting weights for the the past couple of years and learning how to snatch and clean a jerk to make up that deficit. And so I'd been watching CrossFit and at least appreciated it. And then I knew Tommy was at least, you know, 
he was at least smart with this stuff. And so I knew he wasn't going to do something ridiculous. Well, it was ridiculous, but <laughs> it was a, a weekend event with ridiculous things. And so, you know, signed up for it. Um, and then somebody asked me after like how that was, I think I ended up seventh overall or something. It was like, it wasn't very good. Um, especially if you're competitive, but, but I learned a lot. And then when somebody asked me how it was, it was just like, like compared to bike racing and it was somebody they used to race with. I was like, well, um, yeah, like it's all the same. Like doing a, a weekend stage race, it's hard. You have to figure out how to recover. You have to, you know, stay out of your own head and then stay in your own head. And you have to like strategize and think about certain things of where to take advantage of certain things. The difference is I don't have to stare at the back of a guy's ass for fucking six hours. And I was like, so I would way rather do this. Yeah. <laughs> like, I can like, <laughs> it involves some of the same, like it, it provoked me to get better at certain things, in which case it is a very useful sport. And I think, especially with the addition of these long events, I'm really hoping for that cerebral evolution of the CrossFit athlete. Like, uh, not to say that they're not thinking now, but to see um, to see endurance play its role, like true endurance efforts and that uh, monostructural effort, to see what that does to somebody's brain, to remap how they stay inside their own head, how they deal with true hardship, I think, is going to result in ultimately such a better athlete and hopefully a better thinking athlete. At least that's my hope. I'm, I, I'm, look, I'm looking I at Heber on this one because I, I, I'm just like it, it'll be in, it, interesting to to see that, that like that first day of the games this year. I mean that, that diabolical, I guess, yeah. kind of describes it in a, yeah. in a way. But you know, and does is the does the does that cause us you know pendulum to swing back in the other direction next time around or does that mean like wow this really got into you know some people's headspace and it and it i don't know whether it you know the inclusion of that shuffled the um the the you know who was expected to do well mm. you know in a way or not um i i think there shouldn't be a rest day afterwards <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just, uh, that's just I could have been a safety margin. <laughs> yeah, actually. I would, yeah, Thursday was. I guess I'm thinking of Tuesday. Tuesday was like a pre day, and that was that was like a full day of for of just doing stuff. Thursday was a rest day, and but all of them, I think, if you had given them an event, they would have been okay. okay. Yeah, sure. I, th I think everyone that I talked to, like th Wednesday night, I was like, oh my gosh, this this is pretty real. Like the carnage yeah. is there. Mm -hmm. I'm worried about some athletes and then every single one that I was worried about the Recovered. next morning was a totally back to the same person. And, mm. and if we had said, Hey, do heavy DT, they'd be down to do heavy DT. Um, Gross. where you started to see like, uh, some people just later in the weekend were like, I can't remember. I have to look at all of them. Yeah. I'm, I'm remembering like 400 things of sure. what happened. But there was definitely some events where I expected some things out of people that they just didn't have the energy or the... Like the, the they, tank was a little... The, the tank was a little lower. Depleted, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but for those top athletes, like... Didn't matter. Fraser didn't matter. No. Tia Claire Toomey didn't no. matter. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she was unfazed she by was any un of that. Yeah. And then like like Katrin David's daughter, there were people that like... Katrin and Cole Sager, like they announced the marathon row and both of them were elated. They're like, yes. This is what it, this is what we want. We yeah. want people to start the weekend beat up, and this is where we'll thrive. And so, like you can tell that there's those that have prepared with long events. And I know there's athletes that like 
they do all night ruck hikes mm-hmm. because they just are expecting Dave Castro to bring that out. So they've At trained that. Yeah, yeah. So they know what that, what that's like. Hmm. Um, so I, I think to some degree athletes are kind of in that mental space. And that's actually one of the main things. One of the most interesting things that I've found over the years is the top athletes are all really smart. Mm. Like Matt Fraser's a really, really smart individual, mm. not just like on the competition floor, but he has two degrees and like, yeah. Pat Vellner is incredibly intuitive and very book and smart. is as And well, Fikowski, yeah. like he's, an, he's a great accountant and has just now left that job. But like you take any of those guys outside of CrossFit, they leave the sport now. None of the income that they've made now is with them. Mm-hmm. They will be successful in whatever field you put them in. And I think that's true for any of the athletes who have won and have been in the top three of the last five years. In which case you're... <laughs> the selection process is working yes right you're selecting for capable people yeah no matter what and this is something we we try to um the lessons that we learn in efforts and athletics and they should be applicable other places like it should be universal rules here the things that i learned by preparing for an event they designate preparing for life in most cases yeah like the what Navy SEALs go through to learn to be a Navy SEAL is extremely applicable outside of military life. Mm-hmm. I think this is that on a lower scale. Sure. Which is just a, a daily retreat to somewhere really fun to go and train and, and push myself <laughs> mentally and physically. And, and if I do that, like I told my buddy Higgy that's here in Salt Lake, um, I'm following him for his year of his first year of CrossFit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I said, I want you to write down life goals. I want like, what are those outside of like, I want to lose 50 pounds. Like, I don't care about what you want to lose and, and what health markers you want to hit. I want to hear about like, what other life goals do you want to try and hit in the next year? And I think you'll hit them based on one change in your life. And that's nutrition and, and fitness. Yeah. <laughs> when you, you, when you, someone first realizes that they actually have control over yes. what mm. happens to them in some ways, especially if it has to do with, you know, food going into their mouth or, you know, choosing sedentariness or, or, you know, a, a life of movement. Yeah. Um, once they realize like, wow, I can actually steer this. It, maybe I can apply this yeah. to other, to other areas. things. Yeah. Huh. Maybe there are I mean, areas of my life that I can't control that I have always thought have been, I've just out been of a, control. a victim of circumstance and that yeah. doesn't need to be the way you live yeah. your life. I mean, that's the alarming thing that, that maybe uh, we're, we always talk about the philosophy part of this thing. And, and that's really what I think the power of, and I'll call it, is it like something as benign as exercise has the power to change somebody's philosophy, mm-hmm. right? Uh, we remark on that constantly because I don't, a philosophy was a big part of the, of, you know, the past, we'll say 5,000 years of civilization, like this uh, belief in trying to find a way to live and like a good way to live. That, that thought process was often backed up by physical means, right? Toiling the soil and all of these other very human civilized things that we had to learn how to do were backed up by a thought process that went into it, like how to think about thinking. And I think one of the remarkable things is, and maybe this is why it's like falsely profound, is we've had to try to find that again. Like it is too easy. Like life this sounds bad because not everybody has it easy and I don't want to make a general statement and, and make people offended in some kind of way. But uh, in general, we have it better than we've ever had it. And that is to our detriment, right? Like the hardships that we face are what will give us something later. Like that that putting in the time early 
is uh, especially in 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 the analogy to preparing for an athletic event. If I put in the time the year before, I'm gonna reap the reward later, right? And that's a big thing that Matt Frazier, you know, hard work pays off, or you know, any of these taglines. To watch that process over here and to see what you document on film, to see like these guys are not special necessarily. Yes, they're cream of the crop. Like they, let's just say they have the right fulcrum levels and and the right environment and everything goes right. But they are doing something that every single person can emulate, which is focusing on something, working hard at it, uh, problem solving, uh, staying in the right mental state and consistently chipping away at something that needs to be taken care of. I think that just pays tribute to like human civilization. And I think maybe athletics is the only way we see that play out anymore. Because if you want to go, if we use money as the moniker, like, oh, if you're successful, you make money, right? That's a bad incentive because money has more to do with luck and circumstance and other things than we care to admit, right? Like winning, it's basically high-level gambling, right? We can hedge our bets, but... Uh, it doesn't reward necessarily just plain hard work and thinking and extrapolation out of that. So money is a bad moniker for success, generally speaking. Um, and yet we still hold billionaires and millionaires as like, oh, they're so great and they're so this. And most of them are just fucking lucky. Yeah. Like, and yeah, a lot of them work hard. That's a given. Like a lot of them work a lot of hours, but there's lots of business owners that work just as many hours. Just are, as many hours. Dirt uh, poor. And, and my excuse has always been like, look, if hard work uh, or, or if monetary success was a result from purely hard labor, railroad workers would be the richest people. Yeah. Right? They're not even close. And therefore, people that you know trim numbers and figure out algorithms, those people are extrapolating the most amount of wealth and they're the sign of success. And we can't mimic that because a lot of it is just taking advantage of circumstance and relationship and where athletic success pays off is that there is nobody winning on accident right no (laughs) i didn't accident and uh my wife aaron jokes about this all the time she's like i don't want to do the open i might accidentally qualify for the games (laughs) totally like (laughs) maybe yeah you don't want to accidentally become Jimi hendrix like put that guitar down like (laughs) the idea is that athletics is still a very pure uh result Uh, athletic success is a pure result of hard work and input and focus and determination and i think uh watching this sport develop and and highlight that is is it's been really fun for me to watch and how you capture on that video has has been uh, it's super entertaining if nobody has seen your films they absolutely need to because uh you do a really good job it's like uh the esp on on crack if you've ever been (laughs) into the 30 on 30. (laughs) thank you (laughs) are you a big fan of the like those uh those uh pre-boxing event documentaries i so what's funny is i always laugh like if people ask me do you watch documentaries? I actually don't watch a lot of documentaries, mm-hmm. um, but those I do. Mm-hmm. I think the like pre-boxing ones and then like the old UFC yep. ones. How they, they used to do them, How right? they used okay. to do them. Like the raw ones that they do now on YouTube are pretty cool. And yep. I think if you're a fan of that sport, it's really cool because mm-hmm. you just see this really raw look into their lives. Um, and that's kind of where like viewership is going to some degree is like these vlogs and things that, are extremely popular because people see um, athletes or, or individuals on a very 
regular daily basis on a really raw level mm-hmm. that's not highly produced, but I really like the highly produced stuff too. And um, so I don't really watch, I don't watch any of the undis- the, mm-hmm. the new UFC vlogs that they put out. I'm just aware either. of them. Yeah. But I, I loved those and I loved like the HBO's 24 seven or whatever mm-hmm. it was leading up to big fights. Um, but for me, my biggest inspiration isn't those. It's it's just big Hollywood action movies. Like that's oh, really? that's what I'm into. Interesting. <laughs> like, like I go to the movies to escape. Yeah, yeah, because you're in the real world <laughs> yeah. too much. You, that's actually a really interesting position because you probably need something contrasting to help influence you as opposed to the ability to mimic is probably not within your scope of creativity. I yeah, think. well, and I also feel like I, I just get kind of like there's some documentaries that are really well done and mm-hmm. and. I thoroughly enjoy and I'll, but there's also, I've seen some really boring ones and mm. I'm, I'm not necessarily here to watch and be bored or I'm not always sitting down to be educated. I'm, right. I'm, it's for me, it's an entertainment's purpose. Right. But I also think that that translates into how we edit and how we make our movies because we're influenced so heavily by like big action movies. <laughs> you that, can't help but be. Yeah. And I see, and, I, and I'll see like, I see these athletes as like superheroes that are doing superhuman things. Mm. And so I want to make the movie or make the emotion that you get watching it be similar to that when I'm watching the Avengers or ju- watching justice league. Like I want you to have that same connection that you do with Batman, with, mm-hmm. with, with Rich Froning or Captain America and Matt Fraser or Ben Smith. And so, we the types of musics and music mm-hmm. and the type of cuts that we make during the events are very much like brought in and influenced by action movies while also then the behind the scenes is very different because it's a different type of feel back there right but the way we way we edit and the way we tell our stories we were pretty heavily influenced by action movies to be honest nice that's actually pretty epic. <laughs> it's, it's pretty good. I was actually having this conversation with Selena last night because um, the night before, because I'd been out on my bike for a four-hour ride or something, and, and uh, she's like, do you ever listen to podcasts when you ride? I'm like, no. Uh-uh. <laughs> <laughs> if I wanted to go riding with someone, I'd go riding with someone. Yeah. I, I don't like want to have that in my head, I, and, and sometimes – you know, the accidentally appropriate playlist or something, you know, happens. Or, or and, and I started realizing, like, you know, I don't actually, I enjoy the medium. I, 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 I love what comes up in the conversations, where it can go, what it can ultimately lead to, um, not just in the conversation, but outside of it. Um, but then, you know, so I'll listen to some, a podcast at some point, and I'll go, fuck, this is really good. I should listen to more. And then I'll get one and i'll be like man this is this is fucking bullshit i hate podcasts and and so i kind of go back and forth on it Mm. but i did uh it's all this personality sort of driven stuff in in a way and it seems like if if the point is the conversation podcast can be pretty cool if the point is to actually document the thing like i I rewatched the uh uh, waiting for lightning documentary last Mm. night the danny way um skateboard uh jumping you know his whole life leading up to sort of jumping the great wall of china skateboard um uh and just realize like okay this is to to recover this whole footage and you know the the old footage of him and obviously there was a lot of it because he was a total phenom um and and craft that into a, a very watchable story with you know sort of beginning you know middle end arc all kinds of you know highs and lows and this and that I'm like fuck this is a 
This is a, a very difficult, you know, some, it's a difficult skill to learn as a documentary to, to director, I think. Um, uh, that particular one was probably, I don't want to say fairly easy to make mm -hmm. because it's a great fucking story. Yeah, sometimes already. stories tell themselves. Exactly. Right. I just need to <laughs> assemble this here. And, yeah. <laughs> and I mean, harrowing to watch, like, uh, you know, being the cameraman on s some of those things. I just, um, I wouldn't want to be in those, those, those I mean, like, oh, I got to keep filming shit. It's going bad. Uh, um, but uh, I, I guess I would rather see um, action films as opposed to documentaries if my, if my job was to make documentaries. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously, there's only so much you can learn and, you know, about making the craft. But then, okay, where do, where do you draw the inspiration from? Where do you draw the, the, the themes from? What are, you know, okay, if this was a popular sort of, thing and it communicated a message how can i orient that towards what i'm doing in terms of documenting this stuff and it's um i think the the, the personality thing is it's what we want i mean it's we 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 like stories we like to you know see into other people's lives in yeah. some way yeah. and you do a good job about bringing that to us so i appreciate it uh where can people find you and we can uh scoot you on out of here because you probably have very busy things to do uh yeah people can find me on instagram here underscore canon on instagram nice um that's probably the easiest Your films are on netflix films are on netflix itunes amazon prime i think we're no longer on hulu mm. uh our web series on youtube road to the games or just search here canon on any of those platforms and you'll be able to find that work that way awesome I look forward to everything that you uh, keep doing. Thanks, man. So thanks for I, having me out. This has been fun. Oh, thanks for taking the time. This has been really interesting to hear how this stuff gets made and the, the behind the scenes view. So I appreciate you, man. Thank you. Cool. Yeah, Thank thanks you. for coming in. I, I'm. Uh, it's there, there's there's a circle here that's starting to close, and this is one step mm. towards closing that circle to Good. You know, get a particular individual. <laughs> involved in a conversation <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> anyway thank you and uh yeah i appreciate uh, had a, actually had quite a nice time watching uh, the results this last weekend of like this the arc of this whole thing yeah of, uh you know from starting in uh in a very small garage space yeah to being like one of the biggest sporting events and i mean i i Three hundred eighty thousand, you know, applicants. <laughs> Pretty damn big deal. Yeah, just those showing up for that one event, not including the thousands of others yeah. that didn't even sign up that day to compete. To compete, yeah, it's a it's a it's a pretty uh, pretty remarkable movement.